Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Stipe is the champ once more. Nate Diaz is officially a needle mover. Paulo Costa proves he is legit. Corey Sanhagen is a title contender, and we're joined by the most hated man in Anaheim this past weekend. Colby Covington joins the show. As does Kama Worthy, big win for him as the biggest underdog on the card. Gets a first-round finish over Devontae Smith. And uh, we also have Teddy Ash, a Canadian from Edmonton, headlining the final Contender Series episode next week. Looking forward to speaking with him. Go. that was one heck of a card. Hey, yeah, it must have been fun being there. The energy must have been insane. It was okay. I, I mean, I'm in the back, right? So okay. I'm, I'm watching with, uh, like, Brett Okamoto, with uh, Evie Rodriguez from uh, Combatch, and with, like, New York Rick. Okay, yeah, And uh, yeah. Tess, who's also on the ESPN social team. My team. boy, New York Rick. Yeah, so we were watching back there. Though, New York Rick, is, like, he's in the zone for the whole car. Always, like, yeah. If you just, on if his you, laptop. He's, always. he's on his laptop typing away. Yep. He's got headphones on, and he's just, like, Zoned. he's in a tunnel. Yeah. So yeah. I, I actually hate bugging him during it, but, you know, I will every Do now it. and then. Bug him. Yeah. Say Joe says hi. Poke him. <laughs> Send them pictures of me. Yeah, so uh, that was fun. That was fun being back there. And but you uh, get to see the fighters as soon as they're done, right? Yeah. yeah so as I mean soon as that that alone is probably an awesome experience. And that's why I'm having Kama Worthy on the show again this week because I, I spoke to him afterwards and I've never seen a fighter more happy backstage. He was on. He was elated. Like he was yelling. He was like, "Yeah!" yeah. If you listen to my interview, I think it was with Corey Sanhagen. You can find that. And if you listen in the background, you'll hear a guy screaming. That was Kama Worthy after his win. Yeah, he was yeah, so yeah. happy because beautiful. He was at a common concert like two weeks ago with his friend in Pittsburgh. Gets a call from his agent saying, "Hey, can you like you you can get a UFC fight in two weeks?" He had just won a fight at the end of July. Yeah. Um, and he was like, uh, "I don't think I can do it. Like, I don't think I can make the weight." Like, you know, I don't think I can make 145 uh, on such short notice. And he's like, let me think about it. And then he was like, yeah, you know what? Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. he, he, you know, after thinking about it, he's like, well, this could be my only shot ever. And he's yeah. a, such a huge fan of, of the UFC and a fan of the sport. And it was just amazing, like just such great energy backstage. And yeah, I loved this it. is why I appreciate like the embedded it's in the, and the vlogs that they post because you get to see the real emotion of these fighters. Like they should follow the guys outside sometimes, you know, in the back room and. And just to show that to the fans, because I think we'd all love to see that. Like, I mean, Glory used to do it, and some of my favorite footages that they've caught on tape were, like, me just going into the back room. That's when you can actually let loose and be yourself and kind of celebrate the moment. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll hear from him. He's just, uh, he was awesome. I only got four minutes with him after the fact, and I felt like I could talk to him for hours. So yeah. I just thought, you know, let's let's get a long-form interview going on this this kind of format. Yeah, and I mean... This day in, in combat sports, sometimes you can get the guys that'll talk your ear off. You just give them one question and they go, and some guys is just pulling teeth. So it's, it's refreshing to get those types of fighters that come in. So let's talk about the main event. And I'm going to preface this by saying All right. something that doesn't need to be said, which is I have the utmost of respect for Daniel Cormier. I love interviewing him. I love dealing with him. But the thing that I've been hearing in the media, the media echo chamber for like the last couple of days, obviously, since it's happened, is this doesn't affect his legacy at all. And that's, not, that's just tacitly not true. Do you agree with that? He was, he was an undefeated heavyweight yeah. who was the champion, and now he has a, a loss at both heavyweight and light heavyweight. Obviously, it's the Stipe, who a lot of people think is the best heavyweight of all time, but it absolutely affects his legacy. Uh, yeah, for sure it does. And I thought, and I also wrote, you know, after the fact, I, I never understood why he took this fight. It was a high, it was a high risk, low reward fight because the only, really, the reward for him would have been a good reward. I think he, if he would have beaten Stipe, they would have called him the best heavyweight of all time. Yeah. But he wasn't going to be able to match that same performance as the first time, getting that win in the first two minutes of the fight. 
It's just not possible against a guy like Stipe for the most part. Uh, unless, for whatever reason, Stipe didn't fix that hole. I mean, we saw with Cody Garbrandt when he lost the second fight to TJ in even worse fashion that, like, that hole, he basically left that same hole open. Yeah. And then it happened again against Pedro Munoz, and he still needs to work on that. But from the perspective of Daniel Cormier and Stipe, like, Stipe is just way too good to get caught with that kind of thing again. Yeah, and he's big, he's strong, he's yeah. intelligent. And, I mean, I get that the Lesnar fight fell through. That's fine. I get that he didn't want to fight Jones again for whatever reason. I think that, that probably should have been the fight he did take. I think that that would have been... Well, he probably didn't want to lose, and there was a bigger risk at fighting Jones. But I don't know if I agree legacy. with that, because I, I think that even if he loses a third time to Jones, he's playing with house money. He's 0-2 against Jones. If he doesn't win, people will just say, well, he just wasn't good well, enough to beat Jones. 0-3, yeah. Yeah, he defended the heavyweight title against Derek Lewis. If he walks away on that note, then we'll see. I, th- I still think, obviously... If he walks away from the game right now, I do think that it affects his legacy. But if he does come back and fight Stipe for a third time and gets a win, now you start to, you, you, you know, and he walks away from the game then, now you can have that conversation. Is he the well, best heavyweight I think of all it time? affects his legacy, but I still think it's a great legacy it regardless, abso- absolutely. right? Absolutely. So that is the, absolutely. that's the thing, right? To say that you were a champion in two different divisions. But the problem is his light heavyweight championship is almost... It has a bit of an asterisk. It has an asterisk behind it, right? Because he got it when... John Jones had those situations. And that's uh, the kind of thing that will be discussed. Yeah. But if he walked away, from, let's say he would have walked away from the game. But that's not his fault either, right? It's not so. his fault. It's not his fault. But because he lost to Stipe again, I think that will be a more prevalent point when you bring it up. Yeah. Because if he walked away from the game after beating Stipe, let's say he would have retired at 40, like you said. He walks away with two belts. Yeah. Now he's that would have been That would have been later, the ideal none. move. That and, definitely was the ideal move to listen, retire before this fight. This is obviously a competitive sport. This is a competition. I don't think that anybody cares more about their legacy than competing if you still feel like you can compete. I don't think that people walk away from the game. Walking away from the game on top in MMA is almost impossible. In combat sports as a whole, is almost impossible. We've seen, like, in, in our lifetimes, how many people have we seen walk away from the game on top? You've seen George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre, and I guess you could say Floyd Mayweather, but he's walking away from, like, right now, the most recent win for Floyd Mayweather, if you don't count tension... Because yeah. that was an exhibition yeah. is is Conor McGregor, yeah. and are people you know that's the last thing people think about is like this guy just beat an MMA guy yeah. in his. But last he officially, fight. I think he that was the money fight. I think everyone knew yeah. that. Yeah, right? he's undefeated. Like those are probably. Like, I don't think that should have been on his record either. But think about it. Like how many people in combat sports walk away from the game? Yeah, at, very at the top? few. And Cormier could have. He could have retired after that Stipe win and walked away. Yeah. But I understand him wanting to come back. I you know he's at the top of the game. He just won, especially and, having knocked him out yeah. before. That confidence is at an right. all-time high. And it's the heavyweight division. He did it in like under two minutes. And if Undefeated you, li- if you at listen heavyweight. to people, people yeah. are going to say you're just as good as ever. You might be the best you've ever been. And that's very possible. So do was. you think the plan was win this and then he would have retired? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think that he, he had said beforehand he wasn't planning on making any sort of knee-jerk decision that night, win or lose. Yeah. I feel now he's at a point in his career where it could really go down very quickly for him. I think if he continues to fight... I mean, if he takes John Jones out, now he's going out with two losses in a row. You know, then I start thinking it would affect his legacy a little bit more. But I think now is the slippery slope where if he's going to get out, he's got to do it now before he ends up being those other fighters that stay too long. And the tough thing about it, though, is like he won arguably three of those four rounds. Yeah. I mean, I gave Stipe the third. And then when I gave it to him, I was thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, is this a Yeah, you're still unsure. Is this a pity round? Like, am I giving this to Stipe because he looked better than in the other two rounds? Because Cormier looked really good in the third round, right? So that round was razor close. Close. The first two were not. Yeah, like, Cormier, yeah. those were blowout rounds. And I mean, a lot of the complaints were the takedown. Why didn't DC want to go for takedowns in the later part of the fight? 
Well, he said he was having success with the striking. His coaches were encouraging him to continue yeah. to wrestle, do what he did well in the first round, and he just didn't do it. And I know there's been a lot of complaints about the way he pressured forward. Like, he was getting hit, but it's actually a really impressive skill and the style he uses of hand fighting because he'll block the punches and then counter with these smaller ones. And that's what did the most damage to Stipe's face were those small yeah. little jabs. He mm-hmm. parries and he walks you forward. So his forward pressure with his hand fighting kind of stuffs your punches, and then he mixes those little punches in. So... I mean, that was successful, but the one downside to that was the body shot or mm-hmm. body kicks. But what frustrates me is like, oh, my God, this great thing. It was like any kickboxer with a half or a boxer with half decent eye would have saw that. I saw that way before, way before well, that Luke body Thomas shot. Luke Thomas was talking about it on Friday on his show. I saw show. that way before the fourth the round. Luke, yeah, on, on the Luke Thomas show. He actually mentioned this on his Monday podcast that, that if you watch the Anderson Silva fight, with Cormier, you can see that he's a bit susceptible to the body. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, it did take that adjustment from Stipe because in the fourth round, he just kept going with that left yeah, hook of the jab. It was the jab. phenomenal. Yeah, and it yeah. looked great. It was the great adjustment. And that's what finished. Yeah. That's what finished the fight for him. But, again, like, this is the weird thing about legacy is that legacy is it's all paper. Like, nobody's going to look back and say, oh, Cormier won three rounds of that fight against Stipe. You know, it, it was a fluke loss. And they're going to say it was a loss to, to the best heavyweight of all time, a guy who yeah. had beaten – but uh, as a result of that, you can't call him the best heavyweight of all time now that Stipe's beaten him. Yeah. You just can't. Does, it go back, does the title go back to Stipe now as the best I, heavyweight I don't think of it all ever time? Left. Yeah. I, like, I don't, but I think that you could have made an argument. You yeah. could have said if, if he won, Cormier yes. walked around. Well, no, if he won, I think Cormier, you have to call him You call ever. him the best of all time, but yeah. even going into that fight, I think if you look at Cormier's heavyweight resume, the fact that he was undefeated, he had only lost one round at heavyweight. Um, th- that You can make an argument. There's a good resume yeah. there. But with the loss to Stipe... You, you can't make that argument anymore. And that's why I, I'm saying that I think that it does affect his legacy. And I, I think that legacy is something of an overrated thing, but it does matter at the end of the day to fighters and to the fans. Yeah. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it out, but I, I'm saying this in the most respectful way um, because I'm someone who obviously stopped my career with head injuries. Have we seen a little bit of a downfall in Stipe? You kind of left the game on top, really, if we want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> you had a title, right? Yeah, yeah. I left with the title. Yeah. But like, is are we seeing a, a decline in his mental health? Are we in seeing in Stipe's? No. Is is people, it something he's always this, had? I've, I've heard people up, talking. But he's always talked like that. Go back and watch any clip of Stipe. People, mumble. Said, this, people yeah. said the same thing about. I posted that Nate Diaz clip. Yeah, Nate too. Yeah. And people said, oh, he's slurring his words. Nate's always talked like this. Yeah. And then there's the other one. People say. Uh, Gray Maynard is the one that a lot of people say. Gray Maynard, he's stuttering, he's stuttering. Gray Maynard has a speech impediment. Yeah. <laughs> like he had it. It just scares me, you know. Like for as sure. someone who's concerned, like. Like, I'm concerned for everyone's health, you know? I want everyone to leave the sport with no headaches, con- like, a- as much minimal brain damage as possible. So sometimes it scares me to see these guys with physical brain damage and then still get cleared to fight sometimes. And that's where I'm like, okay, sometimes we have to tell these guys that enough is enough, right? Yeah, but it's hard to scientifically prove that someone has brain damage while they're alive. Is that true? Like, I, I mean, well, you I mean, know yeah, more about but the I science. Yeah, but I mean, you can tell. You can tell when someone talks and... There used to be quicker on their words, and now they're, you know, mixing up words a little bit. You see them thinking a little bit longer to reply. Like, there's little signs, and um, I've seen it with some people um, because I've known them for so long in the sport. But, I mean, it's just something that I want people to at least recognize that it's an issue and pull out, man, if you need to. Yeah. And I so. think that uh, going, I think that in that third round, when, or even after the first two rounds, when Cormier was really putting it on him. I think people forgot about how good Stipe is. Like I think people, I think Stipe did got a lot of disrespect going into this fight. Yeah. Because we all know how good he is 
if you look back at the previous fights, especially the Francis fight, I think is like the real definitive evidence that he's a top, top fighter of yeah. all time. At, at, you got to see him wrestle, take down, yeah. move. Yeah. But even he said in this fight, he said maybe it was the layoff. It was, what, 14 months? Something along those lines. It's the longest he's ever had. But he said in those first few rounds that he was losing, he said he just felt like he was in quicksand. Like he couldn't find his movement, his footwork. So, I mean, that could be, that's probably a reason uh, of ring rust, uh, if people want to call it. Yeah, although you look at what Nate Diaz did on three years off. Yeah. Although it did take him a I mean, everyone's individual. It took him a bit to get start two. Started yeah. two. That was the worst part of the fight for him, like the first two minutes. Because he says, like, in his previous fights that he's been a slow starter. So he said he warmed up a little bit more in the back. So he treated that first round like his third. Um, there was, he said it was kind of a mistake on his behalf. There was one moment during that Nate Diaz fight where I'm like, okay, it was. you, you know how you can notice a noticeable momentum shift in the fight? Yeah. I noticed it when Pettis was kind of teeing off on Diaz, and Diaz was just staring. It looked like he was staring into the ocean. Yeah. And then he took a deep breath and went like, and just started walking forward. And you from that to. point, that's when the fight just That's the perfect game plan. And, I mean, Pettis was very open about his game plan for this fight. He's like, I'm going to stay loose. I'm going to use my kicks. I'm going to be, you know, um, elusive on the outside. But how do you beat that style? Pressure, pressure. And Diaz just walks you down. So, I mean, perfect game plan. I know Pettis uh, broke his foot in the fight, too. And it's weird because that was the game plan that Pettis used against Wonderboy was pressure. Like yeah. he, he had a full pressure attack. Yeah, and the ability instead, to adapt. Different yeah. fighters, different styles. Mm-hmm. But, and uh, he wasn't. I don't think he was able to adapt against Diaz. It just seemed like Diaz had all the answers, especially on the ground. Like anything that took place on the ground, Diaz wanted to get him down there. I mean, that's you can tell is the part of Diaz's game that he's worked on the most is the ground game. And I think his just confidence being in front of camera and just naturally out there being fun. I felt he was more talkative than usual. I felt like he was just more positive and happy and yeah. more willing to speak to media. Even though he missed, uh, didn't he, he missed media, <laughs> he missed yeah. media I had so much fun talking to him though. Like I interviewed him after the weigh-ins, and right afterwards he went up to his buddies like, he goes, "That guy's a, that guy's a really good interviewer." Yeah. And, and I and I said to Brett Okamoto, who did like a forty-minute sit-down with Nate, I, I said to him, uh, I sent him a text saying like, "Nate is a terrible five-minute interview and an incredible forty-minute interview." So the the fact that I was able to get a good interview with him in like four and a half minutes, yeah. or four minutes, I like I felt so proud. Yeah, proud of yourself. It's so yeah. hard to do. It's so hard to do it. And then even after the event, I thought that I had a really good interview with him, and he. he even you know when he came to the back, he's like, ah, yeah, we had a great interview the other day. I'm like, let's let's yeah, have yeah. a better one now. Yeah. <laughs> I, so don't think it, wicked, I don't think though. it was a better that's, one. That's but, you great, know? man. That's a great compliment. <laughs> yeah, so from I was someone who him who hates talking to media. Mm-hmm. So now you're probably one of the guys he wants to go to. I hope so. But I, yeah. I liked, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. You know, it's not often where during a fight week I, I really walk away saying, you know, it was really great dealing with the one person. The only, the last time I actually remember it was CM Punk last year in Chicago. I just like I, I got so much out of talking to him. I just felt like I had a really good uh, connection speaking with him. I, you know, him and I had a really good rapport. Yeah. Um, and I don't get that that often. I, Scott Holtzman's another guy for whatever reason. I think him and I click really well. Yeah. And that's always good. You know, I always like seeing that as an interviewer, or somebody that I can. Uh, I feel like I have a really good chemistry talking to. Yeah. And that takes time sometimes, but sometimes it's really natural. And I think but in the, all three of those cases, it's just kind of a natural chemistry that I have with those people. What I think you do well, too, is um, sometimes you always switch it up. You take it outside of fighting sometimes. And I think they enjoy that when you ask them. Like sometimes you'll spark their interest in music. You'll ask them a question, but hey, I heard you're into this band or something. And then you get some you know, more comfortable answers because everyone's asking them the same boring question. You know, What do you think of your opponent? So when you get those... Um, different types of questions and answers out of the fighters, they really appreciate it. You know, I'm not trying to butter my own bread here, 
Um, butter it. Let but, it go. But, uh, butter that toast. When I spoke to Brian Ortega, we had an interview like that. I, I spoke to him for about like seven or eight minutes. And really, it was just about how um, the fighter, like about the fighter spirit. Like he was there for Modelo, and the, their, their motto is uh, brewed, for, brewed for, with the fighting spirit, mm-hmm. along those lines. And I was just talking to him about how um, his whole life has just basically been the fighter spirit. But also that his dad who and his parents who came to America with basically nothing and, like, raised them in a really bad area and how th- they also had the fighting spirit. You know, yeah, it's not yeah. just about combat. It's also about being a fighter outside of the cage and being a fighter in life. And he really opened and up yeah, about that? Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, we just had a really good talk about that. Yeah, No, I agree. I mean, I always tell people I think everybody should do martial arts. Because it teaches you so much about yourself. Like the first thing you learn in martial arts is if you're down, you're tired, you're beat up, what do you do? You get back up and you try again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that mentality teaches, you know, uh, perseverance and, and, you know, consistency and, and wanting to get better and improvements. So I think that's huge. So I definitely agree with him. And I asked him about the Holloway fight. and that show, I said that that showed the fighter spirit in him. But I asked him if his, you know, friends and family had the same response that they said, like, you know, we were really proud of you for not backing down and for continuing. Like, the ref stopped it after the fourth round. Yeah. But, like, he, you know, Ortega just kept walking forward. And Ortega said, like, we were heartbroken. Like, he goes, you know, like, the, you know, even though I kept walking forward, he goes, it's a hard fight for me to watch because, I, you know, I took that kind of punishment. I kept walking forward. I, you know, I took one to give one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was just, he, it was a big letdown for him that he wasn't able to win that fight. But I, I just like that he was very open about that, too. Like, I yeah. thought that that was, that was good to hear because, you know, one th- one thing I've got to learn when I'm doing interviews is I, sh- I need to make sure that the question that I open with sets the tone for the interview. Yeah. Like, that's a really important thing to do. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, like, I'm still, even with me and Glory, like, learning interview skills has been difficult. It's not easy. I mean, you th- if you think it's easy, even those post-fight uh, in-ring interviews, those are tough sometimes. They're, they're not easy. You always get the same questions. So I'm always on, you know, trying to learn different ways to make those in-ring interviews different and how to... F- you know, phrase the questions in, in ways that are nicer and better. That's where I think, like, guys like Rogan do it well. Um, but you can see how tough it is. Like, when you watch a lot of the fighters in those in-ring interviews, some of them are, like, tough to watch because it's hard. Interviewing is a hard skill. It seems easy to just ask re- random questions. and But I'm telling you, it's difficult, especially when interviewers, I think the biggest mistake um, interviewers make is they're thinking of the next question and they're not really listening to what mm-hmm. the, the person is saying. Because you just, oh, my God, what am I going to ask next is the biggest thing going on in your mind. But they can tell you something so crazy, but you just ask them the other question instead of kind of letting the interview flow. Yeah, I try not to have notes with me when I do an interview. Yeah, that's that the reason. number one thing you should do. And Let it happen organically. Yeah. It's hard, though, because there's also the other nerves. issue that I have. Well, it's not just nerves. It's also when I write down things that I want to. Like, I always write questions, and I, and I don't always ask them. Yeah. I, I write them down in advance. But it's just, like a study Just note. because it's studying. Yeah, exactly. It's study that's note. the way I, I think about it is I'm taking taking like almost like cue card notes when you're studying yeah. for an exam. But um, a, a lot of the time I get upset with myself if it's like I really wanted to ask this question I forgot. Yeah. That, bug, that bugs me. I can't like I hate walking away from an interview. So that's why I do like having notes sometimes. But I also don't like to, rel- to rely on them. I don't like to fall back on them. Yeah, and the, my, uh, my broadcast partner, Todd Grisham, always, we always get into this little argument. As an interviewer, I always get upset that when I'm interviewing a fighter, I have to ask them a specific question for them to answer. So it's like, um, you had a great fight. You know, tell me how you feel. Why do I have to ask you tell me how you feel? Like, if I, I want you to kind of tell me, create the story. So if I go to you in an in-ring interview and I say, that was a phenomenal fight, and I hand you over the mic, what do you think I'm asking you about? Of the fight, tell me about it. What's your first reaction? But 
Fighters will just sit there and look at you until you ask a specific question. So I think when you get those fighters, it's it's not as flowing of an interviewer. But when you have a guy that you can just kind of, you know, set the question up and just give them, and then it just flows so nice. So, I mean, I think uh, the success of a good interview is definitely, uh, you know, based on how the fighter responds to the questions you ask, too. You also have to have a good memory. Like, I always try to pinpoint one part of a fight. Yeah, that that's what also you do well. Just like your, one. you know, six and seven in your last fight, you finished, like you bring the stat into it, like a positive stat too, which you remember well, For which sure. is tough to do because you're trying to remember the stat and the question. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. You're right. It isn't easy, but you know, yeah. it looks easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, if, if it looks, if it looks easy, you're yeah. doing a good job. Absolutely. <laughs> if it looks like you're struggling, then people are like, oh, wow, I did that. Is, that's kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, so Nate Diaz, let's talk a little bit about that co-main event because, I mean, this fight week was all Diaz. I mean, it was... If you look at the numbers that Embedded did, it's the biggest of the year in terms of the average viewership. Um, and I, I like to think of that as a gauge of how popular a fighter is. And I thought that Nate, you know, one thing I always said going into this fight week or even with Nate Diaz as a whole was we have no proof that the guy's a needle mover. Everybody talks about how he's this big star, how he's a needle mover. But the last two fights he's fought McGregor, who we know <laughs> is definitively a is a needle mover. Yeah. So when I saw those numbers, I was like, okay, well, there's, that's all the proof I need. Diaz is somebody who people... Who could headline an event and carry an event? Now, the problem with this fight between Diaz and Masvidal has been lined up. And Sorry, I won't call it a problem, but I'll say the big question for me is this ESPN deal, how the, you know, the pay-per-views, we don't know what the pay-per-view points are all about. And there's, always, there's been this rumor that the UFC gets kind of a flat rate for these, which means that the incentive to make it a really big card might not be there. What I worry about is that Diaz and Masvidal are going to want too much money for this, and they're not going to be willing they're to not pony be able it up. To get it. Yeah. So that, that's always one of the hard things with when, when you have a fight like a Diaz and Masvidal. There's so much leverage towards those two guys because now the expectation is that that fight's going to happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. But from a UFC standpoint, like if, if one of their agents is like he's not taking this fight for less than two point five million dollars, what do you do at that point? But that's the question. That's that's the question that I'm wondering about is like, will the UFC say, well, there's so much hunger for this fight that we need to make it by any means necessary? Or are they going to say, well, if this fight doesn't happen, we can just move on to another day. Well, we saw what Nate can do, right? So, I mean, that's worth the investment in itself. And and let's be honest, the numbers haven't really been that great probably in the last couple of years based on it's only been great with the superstars, right? When we had the John Jones or the Conor McGregor. So to have someone else to be able to do that, I think you kind of have to, you know, throw some gasoline on that fire, keep it going. And I think that it's very fair to say that Diaz right now is the number two star in the sport behind Absolutely. Conor. Like if you look at these numbers. But is, is Conor's stock going down now is the question. That's a, that's a, a big question. But I don't know because sometimes it can be one of those like absence makes the heart grow fonder situations. Yeah. And as soon as Conor comes out and he's you know starts shooting from the hip and he's in these press conferences like it, it's hard to know right yeah. it's hard to know if if people are done with Connor I will say this though if Connor doesn't win his next fight that's when you're going to start seeing yes his things stock taper go down. off a little bit but you got to think with all the stuff that's happening with Connor in the news and him getting into that bar fight hitting that elder gentleman who didn't want to take his who whiskey was apparently forty according to Dana White not like not 70. sixty seventy yeah. people are saying. Yeah. But regardless, he's doing this. He's starting to become this negative figure. But for some reason, we saw this positivity in Diaz. We saw him, you know, um, people liking him. He's become the positive figure from the heel that we've always known him as, which is kind of cool to see his role flip. Well, the kind of thing with Diaz is you know what you're getting. Like, he is him. Yeah. He's, you know, he's not, he's not trying to be something he's not. Yeah. And I think that those are the people that people really resonate with, like him, Masvidal, I think so is a good real. example. Mike yeah. Perry is another um, example. One of my favorites. Yeah. And that's why people despise Colby Covington, yeah. because it's clearly an act. Like, it's clearly 
something that's being put on in order to generate heat. And I mean, it also has worked because he came into the arena this week. Uh, sorry, at UFC 241, and people were chant having Co- Covington chants, anti-Covington yeah. chants, during a fight. The you sucks coming yeah, out, like, yeah, yeah, like you suck, Colby, and f you, Colby, and all this and stuff. He love it. He's and loving he's, it. And he's oh, he they are eating out the palm it. of his hands. It's perfect. Yeah, so I mean, I love it. I, I do too. Yeah. I think it's like I think it's genius because you know people you, you can't make people feel a certain way about you, but. In this situation, it looks like you can. <laughs> like yeah, it looks yeah. like if you and Cejudo's trying to do it too, but um, yeah, man, no, like the, the, inter, the intergender thing is like I, I can't get past how bad that is. Yeah, like I like the the premise of it. Well, it's, it's like a, if somebody was joking about beating up women. Like that's that's the how how I think of it. Yeah, and and I and it feels almost kind of sexist on my part because I know that men and women train together in the gym. I know they spar together. I know, but the idea of an actual sanctioned fight between a man and a woman yeah. makes me very uncomfortable. Remember, she's the one who called it out. No, wasn't she was she? no. Who was Amanda was Nunez? So who kept calling well, it out? But wasn't there a female that said, "Hey, I want to fight anyone, even if there's a guy who wants to fight me." I'm sure one of the one of the champs. I think but Zahudo was really running with this a little. He had bit a shirt too, too, didn't he? There was a video of him coming out of the women's bathroom. Uh, yeah. From this weekend, that has he's trying. Since, it's since been taken down, and I'm wondering if it's been taken down because the UFC called him was like, "Listen, you gotta slow your roll yeah. on this particular Turn the subject." Turn the volume down a little bit. Yeah, like I mean, this yeah. is one like I think with Colby, people kind of know that it's an act. I don't think Colby has offended really, other than people from Brazil, any like like groups of people. Yeah, but like. You're not just offending groups of people with this. You're you're offending like just people. <laughs> like you know when you you're, say like you're really stemming you some like, I want to fight a woman. Yeah. Like I, for for whatever reason, I find it very even unsettling. if it's obviously joking, it's still yeah. And I think it is obviously joking, but I think that the more he keeps pushing this thing and pushing this thing, it like just gets worse and worse and worse. Like yeah. it's it's it, done. It's kind of it's yeah. done now. Like, it's done. Maybe you should focus your energy on something else. Yeah. Well, he's trying to stay relevant as many ways as he can. I mean, yeah, but stay relevant by calling out Frankie Edgar, calling out Jose Aldo, or calling out yeah. Uriah Faber, who's sitting next to Faber at the broadcast. Yeah, but that's not as fun. Like, <laughs> you know, he's trying, but I agree yes, with you. It I, needs to stop. Yeah. It's, you did it. It was fun. Like, cool not, joke here and there. I, but I'm not feeding into this. Don't thing. keep going. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be privy party to this. <laughs> yeah. How was the media with um, the reaction? Because it seemed like when, when Nate de- uh, sparked that joint at the open workout, and every, it seemed like everyone was all. Freaking about, uh, freaking out about it. Like, oh my God, he's actually doing it. Did people know that it was a CBD thing? Or no, I think there were a lot of questions about it at the time. Because I don't think, unless you're really well versed in that subject, like I, like I, a joint I, is a joint. I said to he most lit people. up a joint, yeah. and people in like the marijuana community were like, right. "That's not a joint." And then other people in the marijuana community were like, "That is a joint." And then I asked Nate about it, and he's like, "No, it wasn't a joint." Yeah. So uh, like, I don't know. I'm not like yeah, I don't yeah, write yeah, for yeah. High Times Magazine. I cover the sport That's for TSN. Funny. Yeah. Because I've been like, I mean, it was funny to me because it's like um, I've been using the CBD stuff for so long, and and I'm watching the embedded. But you use the oil, right? Like you I use the oils, but I actually have the same type of uh, stuff that Nate Diaz okay. uses. Like it's actual marijuana leaf, like a bud that you would regularly see, but it has zero THC in it. Right. So yeah. the benefits of um, having that. So like for example, I enjoy that in a vaporizer. Mm-hmm. So by using a vaporizer for that, like it's. Say you have a little headache or something like that. If you take the oils or something, it'll take an hour to, you know, hour and a half before that kind of kicks in because it's got to go through your digestive system where if you have something like you vaporize it, you can get the effects within a couple minutes. So if you have a headache, so, so I would use that, for example, I haven't used Advil or Tylenol or any sort of medication like that in five years. So I would use more of that CBD stuff as that uh, 
as the quick headache thing. But uh, it's funny to see in the embedded that uh, Jeff Nowitzki was kind of like, hey, man, thanks for moving the needle on CBD. Yeah, yeah. Like, now he's getting praise well, for something they have the, he's uh, partnership been now demonized. With yeah. Which I still think it's cool, though, the way everything's turning. And, well, that was the big question I asked them backstage. was like, are you amazed at how much the, the kind of stigma behind something that you were so vocal about, whatever, 10 years ago, how, how much in the other direction it's shifted? Did you hear his answer to me? He goes, he goes uh, it's funny. I was, I was kicked out of school for... for uh, Selling drugs and fighting, and now I'm selling drugs and fighting for a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good, good line. Point. I yeah. also love uh, the other thing that stood out is his just his uh, how cl- is almost classy in a cl- weird classy way. His, the way he called out Masvidal mm-hmm. in like a, a street way, and it's just I thought it was great. He's like, yeah, you know it's what? Like an honor code. You're an OG. I'm an OG, but you ain't no West Coast OG. And mm-hmm. I was just like, that's phenomenal. Like he just did a perfect job at you know setting things yeah, up. The, the, I thought he was so different. The in like, production department. Like, right? Well, thanks for doing our job. Yeah. We appreciate it. He did well. He did well all around. So I think, uh, like you said, he's he's becoming the new star. And even after three years, it's just incredible that his name value can. You know, stay that high after so many years. And uh, arguably, I mean, well, I won fight of the night, so I don't really want to say arguably, but uh, the fight of the night, Paulo Costa against Joel Romero. Yeah. That was uh, fight of the night. What's that? It was fight of the night. I've got to say, I'm very impressed with Costa. Yeah. Like, I, both of us had Romero in our uh, picks last week. And I thought, and I, I, how did you score it, by the way? I'm curious. I, I, I valued the pressure and the way that Paulo Costa came forward. Um, I, I gave I, I thought at the end it was two to one. I, I gave for it Costa. to Paolo Costa. Yeah, I had it the yeah. same way. I had one and two for Costa in yeah. the third round to Romero, which I think was the I think everybody that had Costa had twenty nine twenty eight and with, with yeah. Romero winning that third round. Like I mean it was close. It was it, it was, close, it was yeah. definitely but close. But people fight. were screaming robbery online and I'm like, What are you yeah, talking no, about? Someone no. I, I said I have a twenty nine twenty eight cost and I had like three people being like, You need new glasses. Yeah. I'm thinking like, well, first off, I, I responded to them saying like, You cannot say without a shadow of a doubt that Romero won two of those rounds, yeah. or the Costa won two of those rounds. But I wouldn't have been upset if yeah, Romero, if Romero won, won 29, 28. Yeah. So that's what my argument is. Like, you can't call this a robbery unless you have a 30-27 Romero and you thought that it was a complete clean sweep. Yeah. Because the first round, I think you have to give to Costa. Yeah. The third round, I think you have to give to Romero. And I thought the second round, whoever you thought won that fight is fair. You can yeah. whatever. If you liked Romero and you valued yeah. what he did more, I like the I'm pressure, okay the that. size of him, the way he moved forward. His, I thought he did enough based on his his pressure and stuff. And, yeah. And Romero got that takedown at the very end of the round. And I mean, if you value that, sure. But I I value volume striking that where you're pressuring and yeah. you're going forward and you're landing the better strikes yeah. more than that. I mean, and and the way Romero fights too, Paulo Costa had to bring that style. You know, like. The Romero's so elusive. He tries to hit, and, so, and you guys, so you got to close that distance. Well, this is you know? the thing. I mean, and this is you know, kickboxing one one for you. People are afraid of getting hit by Romero because he's big and he and he finishes people with such and authority. And it's explosive. And it's explosive. But if you're here and he and you know if you're right in his face, yeah. And you're, I mean, you know that the he, you know, with range, that's where he he lands his best strikes. It seems like he lands his best stuff when he's far away and you're yeah. far away and you're kind of avoiding him and you're trying to get in and out. Look what happened to Wyden with that flying knee. You know, yeah. like you can't give him that time. space. And Romero's got great timing and he's got great power when he hits you at the end of his punch. Costa was not giving him an inch. And his age too, which means he's getting older. So sure. if you keep a guy on his back feet, constantly moving, don't give him that space to breathe and move and to let things set up. 
that's how you, that's where he got the win. Yeah, I was very impressed with Paulo Costa. And yeah. when you look at him as a matchup for both Romero and Adesanya, he's a bad matchup for yeah, both those guys. I agree. I just think the size of him is going to give Adesanya problems, you know? He's just sure. he's a big physical man, you know? Like if he walks forward and tries to walk Adesanya down and he uses that same kind of boxing, like yeah. Adesanya's going to have to hit him with something good. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's where Adesanya shines. His yeah. ability to move, let you hit powerful and kind of slip off on angles, hit you on weird punch angles. Yeah, that'll be uppercuts. speed versus power. Yeah. Like just, that's... And again, Costa's saying, like, oh, what did he call Adesanya? Like the bean pole or yeah. the skinny the skinny little mm-hmm. guy? He or... says it's personal and he wants to fight. He, he goes, he, But he, he thinks, thinks Whitaker's going to win. He thinks Whitaker's going to win, but he wants Adesanya to yeah. win. Which you, you always I want, like I, yeah, I want Adesanya to win because I just more personal I think connections. Adesanya, well, I just think Adesanya fight. is a bad matchup for for Whitaker. Yeah, like I think I think he wins. I thought that both Gastelum and Adesanya were bad matchups for Whitaker, but Whitaker is really what's good. the what's the early line saying? Uh, Whitaker's a favorite, but yeah, not by much. Not by much, unless it's changed. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's flipped, but. Last I look, if I can recall, Whitaker was a very small favorite. I'm going to look it up now. But I'm again, sure, I would I'm still sure wouldn't. Like Whitaker minus I wouldn't mind seeing Romero and uh, Adesanya. Yeah, that would be a great fight too. That would be a bad match before for Romero kind of gets too old, and you know, I think if uh, it would be a nice little fight. Let's take a look here. That's UFC 243, October the fifth. Uh, yeah, minus 135 for Whitaker. So it's uh, yeah, it's been hovering bad. in that same kind of area code. I'm seeing here. There's a line for UFC 244 in New York, Aldo versus McGregor. I don't, I don't know where that line's <laughs> coming from, but uh, <laughs> but maybe I mean, they, maybe they know something we don't know. Like I thought it was fight of the night. It was a great fight, but I'm hearing a lot of people. I think overhype the you know the, the recency bias. I don't think it was the best fight we've seen. You know, I think it was a great fight. Oh, why are people saying it's like the best? fight It's ever? one of the f- best fights they've I, seen. I thought the first round was one of the best rounds we've. Oh, because one guy got knocked down. Yeah, the first round. The was... The first round was just like you're like, oh my god. Yeah, can but I, can like I take a, ten more rounds of this. One guy gets dropped, then the other gets up. The other gets dropped. The first round was great. Like, I, I'd like to watch that first round side by side with uh, Nick Diaz versus Paul Daly, which to me is like the best single round in MMA history. Yeah, that's when uh, was it. Uh, Paul Daly landed a good left hook yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. almost dropped him, then he mm-hmm. came back. Yep, that's up there. That's a great fight. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that first round was like, if it wasn't for that like that low blow or whatever in the first round that really, or was it a, an eye poke, one of the two, that just kind of stopped yeah. it in its and tracks. And Costa said it was dirty, too, didn't he say? Costa. Joel has some but dirty you know tricks what? When, up his when, sleeve. When he hit uh, Romero and Romero went down, like he got that looked like low a low to me. blow. No, it looked like he hit him in the waist, like you really? said. If you watch the replay, I, I said, I said that looked like it was on the waist, and I go, but by the way he dropped, it looked like it was legit. But we've seen lots of shenanigans from Romero over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put it past. Well, that's him. a veteran move, you know. Yeah, for Why sure. Not? If, you're, it, if you're, especially if you're a big guy like him, and you want yeah. and you're older, and you want to regain some energy. But even if you hit the top of your your jog, your cup, it still hurts. I mean, it doesn't have to hit flush on the jock for it to hurt. So, I mean, you got to give him the benefit of the yeah, doubt. But oh, regardless, sure. like, if you needed a second to breathe after getting dropped, you, at that point, you're kind of the stupid one just not to take a break. Yeah. You and know? Romero also did the, like, fake, the fake point to the mouthpiece thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a savvy veteran move, too. Yeah, but why not? Yeah, yeah but like exactly. even Like, even when I spar with MMA guys sometimes, I've been doing a lot more training, there's some like veteran moves that I see them like sometimes they're like hooking their fingers inside of my gloves and I'm like you guys got these little tricks that like I don't know or see because I've never really you know had those MMA fights but I'm like that's an, a veteran MMA move they like they can hide little grabs on the glove and stuff like that so I mean why not play the game I mean that was what old school is like look down hit high like there are so you're many, stupid to look on the floor yeah, you know you know so your mouth guards easy, in there's so many easy ways to to cheat in this sport like it's almost like if if in your head you really want to cheat you know that you're get, that you get one free low blow 
One free eye poke, one free cage grab. Yeah. The refs don't penalize people for them, do they? No, take it. You're going to get warned. You get one of each. You're like, warning. if you're going to take me down, I'll probably grab the fence. Yeah, okay, you, I get you, warned. I won't do it yeah, again. Exactly. Your brain is kind of like a... You got to take... But refs are starting it. to put people down, though, when they when they do that. But most of them yeah. don't. Most of them just let it slide. Yeah. They don't grab the cage. Like, okay, I won't from now on. Yeah, try, yeah. yeah. I don't... Like, I mean, that low blow, you have to just kind of take a break. I mean, you can't say it's bad. Yo, there's no warrior spirit. That's a, that's a lot of money on the line. No, I think, a lot I think of taking a break is fine. To. But I'm just saying that I know I can slow my opponent down if I do that once a fight. Yeah. Like yeah. if, if if someone took a Joe Valtellini leg kick right to the groin, yeah, they're in trouble. Like, yeah, and I can get five minutes. It. Yeah, yeah, you get five minutes. And to I rest. get a little break. Yeah, you can listen to your, look at your coaches, try to get a little bit of advice that's in it. the neutral corner, but whatever. Yeah, if you're really desperate, I mean, the oldest one is spitting your own mouth guard out. At least you get a couple seconds, but a nice low blow, a nice knee to the jock, you're getting at least up to five minutes. Take yeah. the break. You can spit. You can spit your mouth guard out too if you want to break. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of that's different ways. Warning. That you, there you yeah, go. You need uh, you need something going on. You can do that. I'll get you to teach uh, some of those tactics at my gym. Just cheating? How the to cheat? cheat? Yeah. How to buy time with Aaron yeah. Bronstetter at the Bazooka Joe channel. Yeah, I'm not, I'm sure that, uh, I'm not sure that you'll think that that is uh, in the warrior spirit. Uh, <laughs> Corey Sanhagen, another person I'd like to talk about from this event. Uh, he's now ranked third in the bantamweight division, but that was one heck of a win against, uh, against uh, Rafael Asuncao. Asuncao. I was drawing a blank there for a second, as you could tell. But uh, the thing I, I said to him after the fight is that he is, might be the most risk of, uh, the least risk averse fighter I've ever seen. Just willing to jump into bad positions, yeah. willing to, like, just has the utmost of faith that he's going to win at all, like, at, in any situation that the fight goes into. And that's what MMA is becoming. Like, these young guys train everything. Uh, Sanhagen is mostly known for his like great striking, but he's uh, he's been doing jujitsu since he was a kid, yeah. and he's got great groundwork he, and you the know, long like, limbs to be able to do you know pull off some good moves. Yeah, too. And, I, and I tell the story often. I spoke to Curtis Blades as uh, his two coaches, and one of them was a striking coach. And uh, I said, "Where you know how do you rank uh, Curtis Blades when he came in to now?" And he said, "When he came in, he was like a zero. He had terrible footwork." He goes, "Now he's probably about a six. Like, okay, well if he's a six, who's a 10? And they're like guys like John Jones and Corey Sandhagen, and I go. And this was before Corey Sandhagen was really, like, yeah, was like anything. And I was like Corey Sandhagen, like come again. And he was like, yeah, Corey Sandhagen's like his striking is unbelievable. And I mean, he's showing it. I mean, he's beating John Lineker in fights. He, be, he beat a Sun Sao pretty handily. This. So past do you weekend. think this was almost his uh, coming out party? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I thought the Lineker fight might have been too. I mean, this this fight, I'm surprised they didn't put it on the main card, but. Yeah, he looked really good, and Sadiq Yusuf on the main card also looked really good. Um, and he's an interesting guy too because he's he's, he's from a um, a polygamist family. He's got four moms. Like his okay. his dad is married to four women in Nigeria. Really, he's got sixteen family, sixteen siblings, one of whom passed away recently in the last uh, couple months. Jeez. But um, him and his his mom applied for three visas to move to America because she thought she'd have a better chance. And one of them was Sadiq. Sadiq moved to America with one mm. sibling and with his mom, and. Um, as a result, he has obviously become a great martial artist, and uh, he sends basically all of his money to Nigeria that he makes. And I said, yeah. I go, okay, you must have spurged on one thing since you become a fighter. Like, you're making money Yeah, now. you got something. He goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, I spent $2,500 on a car. I went to a car auction. Oh, he goes, I, be- I bought a 2003 Nissan. Yeah. He goes, it's because I need to get from point A to point B. And he goes, I also bought one nice pair of shoes. And he's like, I couldn't believe I was doing it. Yeah, and after the it. interview, I said to him, I go, I have a friend from Nigeria. I go, 
when your mom came to America, was she just trying to bargain with everybody? Because in Nigeria, it's so entrenched. Bargaining is so entrenched in the culture there. Really? Like, okay. Everybody tries to get a deal. And he's like, yeah. He goes, didn't fly in America. He goes, when there's a price tag on something, like that's what you're paying. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the it's the way you're raised in old yeah. school thinking. But the, yeah, he just says he like he doesn't need anything. He does, he's never he never had anything growing up. And he goes like, my family in Nigeria needs so much more than I do. That like yeah. all of the money he makes just. So I love there. those stories. Those are the stories we need to see. Like when they do those anatomy of the fighters with that uh, Will Harris. Yeah. Or, those are the stories I like to hear. I mean, we have it in kickboxing too because we'll have um, you know two of our champions are from Thailand. And you got to think the poverty and how mm-hmm. they live, and like, they have nothing. So when you see these guys win this money, and like their pride is, oh my God, I bought my family a house, or we got a tractor for the farm. You're like, oh man, like that's those are the amazing stories. Or um, I was talking about motivation. I was like, man, you got to look at some of these Brazilians. You want to talk about motivation? Oh, yeah, look like at Jose Aldo. Yeah. Look at mm-hmm. Jose Aldo and where he's come from, and how much money and how much change of his, his lives like that's a a true motivational and story a lot of like jessica andrage didn't come from yeah from, and it's those are the stories you know, that like, like you almost have to share a little bit more sometimes yeah and uh did you know that in thailand you can get out of prison early if you win fights like that's like actually they have, part like, of prison legal fights yeah it? like yeah. dave laduke when he was on a couple weeks back i was doing research on him and he used to like fight Thai prisoners. Yeah, it's called prison fights. Yeah, I had yeah, a few fight. friends fight in it. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's I like that's part of their legal system. Yeah, I got. I had a few friends fight in it from Canada. That's well, it's pretty unreal. Um, anyhow, let's uh, talk about another person that was kind of a fixture at UFC 241 that wasn't even on the card, and that's Colby Covington. Came into the building, was uh, the biggest heel, you know, in the arena that night, and probably in MMA right yeah, now. He's sitting in all the, time. He's sitting in a row with like Henry Cejudo, with Tyron Woodley, with. Uh, Usman's manager, Aliyah Delaziz, who was yeah. part of that incident at the buffet line. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were all sitting next to each other, and apparently Dana White had to go over and tell him to stop like yeah. behaving like children. Does he pass Chael Sonnen? Um, well, this With is the, this, this is the thing. style of Chael Sonnen, to me. Is probably the best trash talker up there with Connor in MMA history. And his creative lines. And his and lines. He was so fast on his feet. He was so good. And he 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 just he was unbelievable. I hate comparing Covington to it because Covington, I don't think, is clever at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think he's really good at playing just up playing this the character. Heel. Whereas I think I think Sonnen would sit it, sit in bed at night like thinking of lines of, and like uh, writing them down and reciting them in front of mirrors. Yeah. I, I just think that Colby's nowhere near as creative. But on the flip side of that. I think that Colby's a way better fighter. Like, I think that Colby's skills are championship level. Yeah, yeah. I know Sonnen was a, was a very skilled fighter, but, like, in terms of his skill in the division versus where Colby's at, like, Colby is a really, really skilled fighter. Yeah. Well, it's a tough one. Kale uh, was able to use his incredible showmanship and, to get into and title fights. And, he, but, and it's not like he was yeah. losing fights. He was still beating top guys. Like, Colby's striking probably a little bit better than his. Yeah. Oh, for so, sure. You know? For sure. So, uh, but, you know, again, I don't want to take anything away from Chael, but uh, I just think Colby's a little bit better in that regard. Um, and I don't think he's even close. And then not to take anything away from Colby, but he's nowhere near as creative and as clever as Chael Sonnen is. Not, and that's, yeah. that's not to take much away from him because I don't think anybody in the UFC really in history has been. Yeah, no, I agree. I think just Chael's a, a smart mind in general. Very. Like, and very he, intelligent. He grew up on pro wrestling, too, and he gets it. And I think Colby's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, anyhow, let's, uh, let's go to Colby. Uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by someone who stole the show at UFC 241. You heard boos. You heard people chanting during another fight. And it was all directed at this man, Colby Covington. Colby, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Just- 
got the MMA world at the tip of my fingers, just like how I wanted it. Yeah, I was going to say they're eating out of the palm of your hands. I mean, this is what you want. You, you had Kurt Angle's music, so they boo you. You come into the building, and they boo you, and they, they, they turn their attention from the fight that's going on to you. This couldn't be playing out better for you, correct? Correct. It's going uh, all according to plan. You know, it's, the, the biggest thing about an MMA and, and sports entertainment is you've got to get them to love you or hate you, you know. And, and uh, the thing is, is, is hate is a real emotion. So to get people that emotional and that loud – over over the hate, you know, I didn't even hear that that loud of a pop for anybody getting that much love that night. You know, I stole the show just you know by walking into an arena, not even fighting. So everything that I you know that I built to this point, you know, I'm a self promoter, I'm self made. You know, it's all going according to plan. And and the best part is it's just get it's just getting started and just getting warmed up. So what was the reason for attending this event? Uh, the reason for attending this event was to support my boy DC. You know, we go way back, man. I remember getting recruited to Oklahoma State for wrestling, and and uh, DC was one of the guys on the recruiting trip that I got to chat with, and he's just a super good dude, man. He's always helped me out in my career. You know, my my fight with uh, Damian Maya when I when I left him in a pool of blood and and that dump with all the filthy animals in Brazil. You know, DC was the one commentating on the mic, and I I just always uh, appreciate his support, and he, he's a good person, man. So I wanted to see him fight. That's interesting. So he helped try to recruit you to, to OSU back in the day? He didn't try and help recruit, but he was on the team right now. So, so he was, you know, he was on the wrestling team getting ready for NCAA and Olympic medals. So I was going as a recruiting, so he was around the team, and I was going and visiting the team. So that's kind of how I first met him, you know. But he wasn't a recruiter. You know, he wasn't like one of the coaches at the time. He was still training actively and getting ready for the Olympics. That's interesting. I was trying to figure out what the connection to the event was because obviously you had Pettis and uh, Diaz, and that's, that's in your weight class. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, Yoel Romero, who's a teammate of yours. So I was trying to figure out exactly uh, what your motive for coming to the event was. Yeah, I could give a shit less. Again. I could give a shit less about that journeyman, uh, Nate Diaz. You know, he's, a, he's another five, 500 level fighter. You know, he wins one fight for every loss. And, and a guy that sits out three years, who gives a shit about that guy? I, I've seen real, real men that have ragdolled that little snowflake. So. You know, the only thing worse than his list and his speech impediment is his wrestling. So with, with Nate, uh, he, after the event, said that he didn't know who you were or what weight class you were in. Do you buy that? The thing is, is nobody ever accused Nate Diaz of being smart. But avoiding me and not talking about me might be the smartest thing that bitch boy has ever done. He, he knows exactly who I am. You know, his brother, we were supposed to set up to fight last year at Madison Square Garden until, you know, he got cold feet and pulled out last minute. But... They know exactly who I am. I'm the king of the fucking division. I got a belt around my shoulder, something he'll never see, you know? The only thing he's getting the belt is maybe in the weed industry, but, you know, he needs to stop being hooked on weed. He needs to get hooked on phonics. That guy's a mental midget. So with, uh, with Diaz, uh, obviously he beats Pettis and then calls out Jorge Masvidal, who I guess, you know, your friend who called him out earlier in the week. Are you excited to see how that one plays out? Yeah, you know, I... You know, it's, it's uh, you know, the battle of the journeyman. It's, a, it's an exciting fight. You know, the battle of the 500-level fighter. What, they're both, let's see, Nate Diaz is 1-1 one one in the last three years. Jorge Masvidal is 2-2 two two in the last uh, year or two. So it's the battle of the journeyman, the battle of the 500 fighters. So I'm excited to see, you know, who comes out top. Hold on, let's rewind a second. So, I'm, you know, I know Jorge is a friend of yours, but now you're starting to slag him a little bit here and uh... – he mentioned that, I guess, over the weekend that you haven't really spoken with him on the phone uh, for, you know, any prolonged period of time over the last year. Is there trouble in paradise here? 
No, not at all. No trouble in paradise. What have I said anything that's a lie? Where, where's the lie, Aaron? You know, I'm I'm saying all truth and facts. If if someone gets mad at me or a media member or him even for not for saying facts, then you know that you're you're living in denial. You're living in a delusional world. So, you know, there's there's no beast. He's still my best friend, man. We go through way back, Aaron. You don't know what me and that guy been through. We've been through so much together. So I got you know nothing but respect and love for him. He's my brother. Yeah, but you call him a journeyman. I mean, a journeyman is still kind of a something you wouldn't want to call somebody who's a friend of yours. Am I am I wrong on that? I mean, there's nothing in my contract that says I have to be nice, and, and there's nothing in our friendship that says I need to say nice words all the time. We troll each other all the time, Aaron. He calls me all the time. He calls me shit all the time. He says things to me, you know. Maybe it's not on camera, but, you know, we joke, with, joke, we joke around all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing serious. Okay, so this is just two teammates that are, you know, verbally sparring. Busting balls, yeah, as they say. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, no harm, no foul, you know. There's nothing... I'm fighting for a title against, you know, Marty Fake Newsman. He, he's going to go fight another journeyman 500-level fighter with a speech impediment that, that probably can't even say the ABCs in Nate Diaz. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So after the event also, Dana White said that uh, he needed to come over to your section and make sure that everybody was being civil. So um, you were in the section. You know, Jorge was there. Um, Ali Abdelaziz was there. Tyron Woodley was there. Anything happen that uh, people might not have seen during the event? No, just the standard, you know, jealousy and, and envy from all the fighters. They all wish I was in, they were in the position that I'm in. You know, they wish they were getting calls from the president. They wish they were doing catastrophic numbers, you know, trending, like like top trending person. So, you know, they're just, they're all jealous, man. They're all sweating me. You know, you got Ali Abdel Asliz, you know, he's over there trying to sign me in the middle of the fight. Yo, let me sign you, bro. Be my man. I'll be your manager. I know we had beef, but I'd love, I'd love to represent the real champion of the welterweight division and, and the future face of the UFC, Colby Chaos Covington. So, you know, just, just a lot of jealousy, man. A lot, a lot of guys that that, you know, have nothing better to do with their lives than hate on a winner. Going back to the event, what did you think of it? What did you think of the uh, the main event, especially with DC and Stipe? And, of course, uh, your teammate Yoel Romero against Paulo Costa. Yeah, man, it, it hurt. It hurt to see DC go out like that. You know, uh, he was up three rounds to zero. You know, it was the fourth round. You know, if he just used footwork and, and just move around, you know, I think maybe it's a different. But he's such a fighter and such a warrior and such a – such a real champion. I call he really is the natty goat, the best fighter of all time, natural. No, he never took no steroids. Look at him. He's all Popeye's chicken, all his Burger King, all fast food, man. That guy's, you know, he's never done any type of drugs. So he, he a family man, good person, you know. So I still consider him the natty goat. And uh, it was hard to see him go out like that, you know. He got he got caught though. That's the game. It's a one punch knockout, and he got the you know Stipe got lucky. He caught him and. That's how MMA is. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he decides to do next. You know, I wouldn't be mad if he decides to retire because he's already had an illustrious career. And, you know, he has nothing else to prove, man. He already knocked out Stipe. He already won two titles in two divisions. You know, he, he's a legend. He's a GOAT. He's a, you know, he can, he's going to be a first bout Hall of Famer either way. So I'd like to see him make the right decision with whatever it may be. But I know he'll make the right decision because he's a smart dude. Do you think that taking the rematch with Stipe was the right decision? He had two titles uh, you know, both on both shoulders. Um, he he could have held out for another fight with John Jones or something along those lines. I know the Brock Lesnar thing fell apart. But uh, right now, if if he retires, he doesn't have a belt uh, in either division. Do you think that he should try to get it back from Stipe, run, run it back for a third time? To be honest, no. I would say there's no point. At, at the age he's at and 
how much he's accomplished and what he's got on his plate already. Uh, Aaron, you know, he's got his analyst role. He's set, man. He has a lot of different ways to make money. He's a good businessman. He's he's a smart marketer, and he's just a, he's a well-spoken, you know, gentleman. So he, whatever he decides to do, he's going to do it, and he's going to be the best at it because he's a hard worker like that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't like to see him come back. He already won two, title, t- two titles, made history. You know, he's already done everything there is to do in the sport. What, what else is there to accomplish, Aaron? Uh, not much. I mean, there's always the John Jones thing that's going to be, I guess, put over his head when people look back on things. But at the end of the day, I mean, coming off a loss, I'm not sure if the UFC would want to book that fight or if he even wants to fight John Jones again. I mean, that's it's a tall order. Yeah, but I don't think a lot of people hold that over his head because if you look at the person Daniel is compared to the person John Jones is, there's nothing to compare. You know, I mean, John Jones cheated numerous times. He's failed three or four steroid tests. I mean, I used to watch the guys shoot up steroids in college. So, you know, I mean, the guy's a piece of shit. He's not, you don't see Daniel Cormier hitting a pregnant lady at a, at a red light and then running for the foothills with all his drugs in the car like John Jones. You don't see Daniel Cormier have two hookers in the back of his Bentley and wrap it around a pool when he's drunk when he's got his wife and kids at home like John Jones. So, you know, I don't think people will hold John Jones over Daniel Cormier's head. I think that guy can ride off in the sunset and still be considered the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, you certainly can't uh, undermine his credentials. And, of course, as, as a person, as a human being, I mean, Daniel Cormier is grade A. I mean, there's no, no way around that. He's one of the best guys I've dealt with in this business. And uh, and it seems like everybody loves the guy. So, I mean, you're, you're, you who tr- talk trash about everybody is singing this guy's praises. So, I mean, if, if he's on your good side, then uh, I'm certainly not going to argue with that. That's right, man. He's he's, uh, he's, every, he's as advertised. Everything that you see is what you get with that guy. There's, not, there's nothing fake about him. There's nothing fickle, you know. What you see is what you get. You know, a lot of these guys, they act like they pretend like they're a certain way to the media or, or to people, but they're just trying to get themselves up and level themselves up and, and get themselves over and push themselves higher and get more money for themselves. This guy is not selfish like that. He's he's a team player, and he's uh, he's a legend, man. He's first Bow Hall of Famer, so I'm excited for for uh, to see what his next chapter in his life and entitles. Seems like him and Max Holloway are like the most wholesale liked guys in the sport. Yeah, I would say they're they're up there. You know, I don't really, I don't, I don't have anything nice to say about Max because he was acting like a little punk this weekend. You know, he's a featherweight, so you know he needs to watch watch how he's acting. You know, I'm not, I'm not a featherweight. I'm, I'm the welterweight king. So, you know, I, I don't really got much to say about Max Hall. I can't say any nice things about him. Was that was Tyron Woodley trying to get in your face at all this weekend? Nah, Tyron Woodley knows what's up. He knows who Daddy is. You know, five years ago I handled Tyron Woodley, uh, Aaron. I left him in a pool of his blood. You know, I, I, I literally left him unconscious in American Top Team. He knows that, so he, he, you know, he can say whatever he wants to anybody, but he's not going to step to me. Listen, he got six contracts, UFC contracts, to fight me, Aaron. So if he wanted to do anything about it, he would have done it back then when he was in his prime, not when he's out of shape over the hill now on TMZ uh, gossiping about Justin Bieber. So, you know, I mean, if he wanted to do something, you know, he, you know, he would have done it a long time ago. He ain't got nothing to do now. Now he knows what's up and, and who the welterweight king is, so he ain't stepping to me. I was actually thinking with Tyron that a move to the middleweight division might be good for him. I mean, you've got Kelvin Gastelum. He's looking for a fight right now. He's a guy that moved up from 170 as well. His path to the title at welterweight isn't great right now. You, you have this fight with Masvidal and Diaz. Of course, you've got yourself and Usman tied up. I guess Woodley, I think, is 37 years old. Not going to get, um, you know, it's not exactly looking like the division's going to clear up anytime soon. What do you think of that idea? 
Um, I think the best idea for Tyron Woodley is to go check into therapy somewhere, you know, re- really get his mind and uh, brain evaluate, uh, evaluated because, you know, that guy is definitely crying himself to sleep at night, Aaron. I mean, I could, I, I looked over one second and caught eyes with him at the event. I could just tell how defeated his soul was and how all the wind has been taken out of his sails. So that guy, I don't think that guy should ever fight again, to be honest. I, I think he could get seriously hurt and maybe even die in that octagon if he ever fights again. So he needs to go get checked into therapy and, and uh, get get looked at, man. He's not right in the head anymore, Aaron. What did you think about uh, the OL fight? I, I keep meaning to ask you about it with uh... – with Paulo Costa. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't even catch that fight, man. I, that was like, I was right walking in right before that fight, and, and uh, like 500 fans lined up to take pictures with me. So, like, I was taking pictures during their fight, and I wasn't even paying attention to that fight. And, and then also I was just looking over my back the whole time because I had Ali Adela Sleeves right down the way, so I, you can't trust him, you know. And then all the other fighters that are jealous of me, I just, you know, I was watching my back. I wasn't even paying attention to that fight. The only fight I watched was the D.C. fight. That's the only one I cared about. That's the only reason I went there. So, you know, I, I wasn't able to check out any of the other fights. They're boring anyway. The only time people were fucking yelling and getting a pop was when I walked in the building and put some energy and electricity in the arena. So, you know, they, they know who the, the show is. I wanted to ask you about the situation with uh, Misha Tate that happened on Sirius XM Radio. Um, you had mentioned, I guess, early on in that interview that she had been saying some bad things about you. I, I hadn't caught anything like along those lines. So I was curious what she said to set you off. Uh, she had said in a bunch of interviews, well, let's first be on, let's go back to why she's over in 1FC because she's a shill for that Atari guy. She just sets out all that stuff and tries to trash UFC fighters to make their brand look like it's better and, and more inferior and this and that. So she's talking all this shit in these interviews. Oh, Colby's a disgrace. She even said in one interview, one headline was, Colby uh, is disgusting. He's, he's a disgrace to Western martial arts because of his controversy and the way he sells fights. Dude, Aaron, let's backtrack. Listen to what she just said. He's a disgrace to Western martial arts because of his controversy and the way he talks. How did Nisha Tate get famous? Or let's say half famous because she's not even relevant anymore. How did she get there? Because Ronda Rousey, because she was controversial towards Ronda Rousey, because she was on the losing ass-kicking of Ronda Rousey, because she should talk to Ronda Rousey to get up there. So the, 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 one of the most controversial people in the history of the sport is trying to be a hypocrite and two-faced and, and say these things behind my back. But then when I come on the air, Aaron, she won't say it to my face. So it's like, oh, you want, me to, you want to bring me on your show and you want me to give you headlines and you want to act like you're nice to my face on your show, but you want to talk shit behind my back like I didn't hear it. So, you know, it's, just, it's, it's funny, man. People are so hypocritical. You know, the MMA media reporters are a bunch of dorks. You know, the, the who's who of you pick last for a dodgeball game. They know, they know nothing about athletics or entertainment, but they want to say I'm talking about hate speech because, you know, I'm saying truth to Misha. So, you know, I just... People are just, I mean, man, they just, they don't know what they're doing, man. They don't know what they're talking about as far as media. And, like, I said the truth to, to Misha, you know. I, I hit her with truth and facts. And it's not my fault she's sensitive. Well, for the record, I was usually, like, third last in, in dodgeball. I just want to clear that up. I figured. That's why we're talking on the phone today, Aaron. I, went, I wouldn't talk to the last, last pick person for dodgeball. You know, the, the John Morgans out there, you know. That's, that's not who I'm going on to talk with anymore. We, we don't do that. We got, Aaron, you're big time, brother. I, yeah, Morgan's got a good arm. Morgan can throw a ball. Yeah, but, okay, we're talking about throwing a ball, but he wants to talk about, in interviews, he wants to talk about how people should run fighting careers, how 
they should promote, how they should do in this. But they're trying to tell me how I need to conduct myself. And they're trying to tell me, you know, what I should do when I'm going to be in my cage or my underwear to kill someone. But I can't be a meanie head. He doesn't want me to be a meanie head. So, you know, it's just it's funny, man. These people are just so dumb. I want to talk to you about gimmicks right now. I mean, we, we see that you've been very successful at getting people to feel a certain way about you. Henry Cejudo is running a gimmick right now where he's calling out women to fight in, uh, in the UFC. When you see something like that, what's your reaction to it? <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know. I, I, that's funny. You know, it's confusing a little bit. I, did, I won't say anything bad because I just saw Henry before the fights, and, and we're, you know, he's my boy. I've always had respect from him from the wrestling world, so I, I like the guy, but... You know, I, I don't know about the intergender thing, man. It's a little confusing, you know. It's, come on, bro. There's better ways to promote and the angles to shoot than that. But, you know, you can't hate the guy. He's got a lot of people that hate him for it. You know, a lot of people, you know, are calling him cringe and, and, you know, he's a piece of crap and this and that. So, you know, I guess he's mission accomplished for what he's trying to accomplish. I'm mostly just confused by it. Okay, <laughs> that's where I, when I see the video of whatever him walking out of the women's bathroom and challenging women to fighting, uh, it's, it makes me uneasy. I don't know. I don't really know what to think about it. Yeah, he's just trying to he's trying to sell fights, man. And even if he's not trying to sell a fight with Valentina Shevchenko, he's just trying to you know you know cross promote and cross market and and try and sell fights any way possible. Obviously, that's never going to happen, Aaron. He's never going to fight a women's fighter. It's never going to happen in the history of the sport. They'll never, you know, sanction that and legalize that. But, you know, it, it'll probably lead to another big fight, you know, and, and who knows who his next fight's going to be. So he's just trying to sell fights and, and stay relevant and stay in the media, and you can't knock the guy's hustle. Okay, so that's a good way of looking at it then. So anybody who's really trying to take what he's saying seriously and getting, you know, upset about it, really what he's trying to do is just keep himself in the news, keep his name out there. He's injured right now, so there's not much he can do in terms of, you know, in cage, but outside of the cage he's trying to get as many headlines as possible. Yeah, and I mean it's it's the it's the year in the art of trolling, and you know you can't take everything you see so seriously. You know they they say don't believe what you see, you know don't believe what you hear, believe what you see. So you know just because you know you're hearing something doesn't mean that it's true and it's right. Maybe it's just it's it's a counter counter attack, and they're trying to sideswipe you and hit you at a different angle that you didn't think they could come from. So you know he's being crafty, he's being creative, and. He's learning the art of promotion and selling fights and, and uh, marketing. So, you know, you know, he's doing good things. And, uh, you know, there's a reason he's a double champ. Have you sent Daniel Cormier a message of any sort since uh, after the event? No, I haven't been able to send Cormier a message yet. You know, I'm, I probably will later this week. But I, I know he's getting bombarded with all kinds of stuff. People, and, you know, I just wanted to give him his time to get with his family, you know, and just uh, – you know, kind of get back to the drawing board. And, you know, he's got so much on his plate as it is. So, you know, I didn't want to bother him or interrupt him. But definitely in a few weeks, you know, when the dust is settled, I'll, I'll reach out to him and just show him, you know, my support and, and how much I re- appreciate and respect everything he's done his whole career. And, and uh, no matter what decision he makes, you know, I'm confident it will be the best decision. All right, Colby. Well, it's always an interesting experience speaking with you. And uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. It looks like uh, November with Usman. Is that what, uh, what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking, but we'll see if Marty Fake Newsman shows up, man. That's, you know, that's that's what I want to go go fight in uh, Madison Square Garden, the most iconic arena in the world. You know, and there's only one guy that can truly save that arena because the Knicks are just completely screwing that arena up, man. They're tarnishing the legacy of MSG, so they need to put Colby Chaos Covington versus Marty Fake Newsman on the marquee at MSG November 2nd. We'll see if the UFC can get it right, or we'll see if uh, Marty Fake Newsman keeps faking 
injuries and ducking me. Well, I won't argue with you about the Knicks being a disaster. That's absolutely true. Do you have a contract in hand for that fight? No, I do not have a contract in hand, but as you can see with my last fight, I took my last fight on four weeks' notice, and I didn't even train Aaron because my cut. So, you know, your boy works at quick speeds, and he's always ready to go. That's what happens when you're the best fighter in the world. You're always ready to defend that title. So we'll see when we get that contract, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. All right, awesome. I'll catch up with you soon, Colby. Thank you for this. All right, take care, Aaron. That was Colby Covington, and of course I will uh, end that interview by saying that the thoughts and opinions of Colby Covington are that of Colby Covington alone and do not reflect those of Aaron Bronstetter, Joe Valzellini, or Bell Media. That guy's always controversial. He's got a lot to say. And uh, listen, what I said off the top is true. Everybody's eating out of the palm of this guy's hand. People might think that he's not very good at being a heel or that, you know, he's... What he says is cringeworthy or what he says is uh, is off base or controversial, but that's what he's trying to do. And I, I think he's pretty uh, pretty transparent when it comes to what exactly he's looking to do when he's running this gimmick, when he's wearing the MAGA hat, when he's, you know, talking smack about just about everybody. Although he was, you know, if you're in the wrestling community, it seems like you're pretty safe. For example, Daniel Cormier and uh, Henry Cejudo. They didn't get hit with any Colby... Uh, Opinion shrapnel, insult shrapnel, so to speak. I didn't realize that he was close with DC, that him and DC had a good relationship and that uh, DC had been part of the Oklahoma State wrestling team when Colby was potentially looking to go there. That's uh, interesting information. I was trying to do the math in my head, though. If if Cormier is 40 and Colby is, I guess, 31 or 32, I, I don't know exactly how old Colby is, where's the crossover? Like Colby would have had to be in elementary school as a wrestler, if he was going to see DC on the team, unless DC was working out with the team while he was there, you know, during the Olympic training or whatever, that part I kind of had trouble doing the math about. But he had lots of uh, nice things to say about DC, and uh, that was interesting. Had didn't have very nice things to say about a lot of other people in that interview, though, and he he typically doesn't. Even threw John Morgan under the bus. Who doesn't like John Morgan? Like the one of the most likable guys in MMA media. Always got a smile on his face, always happy to, you know, cover stories. Usually tries, you know, doesn't, doesn't do anything that's outwardly controversial. He's, you know, John Morgan's a, he's just a working, hardworking reporter. Come on. But, you know, I'll always uh, def- defend my media brethren. Like I said, John has a good arm. I wouldn't pick him last in dodgeball. There were other MMA media members. He would be, he'd be on my short list for, uh, you know, I don't know if he'd be at the very top of the draft, but he, he wouldn't be at the bottom either. That's all I'm saying. So that was Colby Covington, who's uh, always got a lot to say. It looks like November is uh, what he is thinking will be the destination for his, I guess he would say, a title amalgamation fight with Kamaru Usman. Usman was not in attendance at the uh, the card this weekend, but uh, Tyron Woodley was there, as I mentioned in the interview. <laughs> he was claiming that, uh, Colby was claiming that Kamaru's agent, Ali Abdelaziz, was trying to poach him and uh, and sign him <laughs> to be his manager. But, you know, when you when Colby says these things, you don't know what to take at face value. I have a feeling that Ali Abdelaziz was probably not trying to sign Colby Covington. But uh, I wasn't there. I, I mean, I was in the building, but I wasn't uh, anywhere near where all of that was taking place. Dana White did say that uh, they were trying to... The, the thing that interested me the most about what Dana was saying after the event was that he saw that Jorge Masvidal was trying to get close to Colby and they were trying to break that up. 
I'm interested to know where the relationship is actually at. Because if you ask Muswell, he says that they don't talk anymore and haven't spoken in like a year on the phone or, or whatever. But Colby seems to throw these kind of backhanded insults at Jorge. And then when you ask him about it, he's like, no, no, we're friends. You know, it's, it's all good. But uh, I don't know what friend would call their friend a journeyman. <laughs> that's, that's just me. I, I don't call any of my friends journeymen. But uh, then again, my friends aren't professional athletes for the most part. So, Although there are a lot of people that you could call journeymen in media that, that go to all kinds of different outlets. But I, again, I wouldn't throw that term around when it comes to anybody, any of my colleagues in media. Anyhow, we're going to go to a different interview now. It's a, an individual that was also at UFC 241, but he was in the cage. He was an individual who was the biggest underdog on the card and a guy that I just loved speaking with backstage. I, you know, I only got about four or five minutes with him, and I thought to myself, I need more time with this guy because he's got a lot to say. He seems like a really interesting guy who's you know, not just only about fighting and has a lot on his mind and would be fun to speak to at length. So I invited him on the show this week. He is comma worthy. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. One of the great stories to come out of UFC 241 was Kama Worthy. It was a big underdog against Devontae Smith. And I cover a lot of these events on site. I hear heartbreak backstage. I hear elation backstage. But I have never heard the elation quite like Kama Worthy getting this win. So you got this win. You're backstage. You're going nuts. I'm actually interviewing Corey Sanhagen. I hear someone kind of yelling with, you know, jubilation. And it ends up being you after that big win. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, it, was, it was nuts, man. I, I can't even like remember all of it. I wish I would have had like someone recording it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was something to behold. So uh, now that the dust has settled a little bit, you know, we're three days later or whatever it is. You know, have you been able to soak it all in yet? What what have things been like since Not, I guess we last spoke? Yeah, like it hasn't quite all sunk in completely yet. Like you know, I mean, like, I'm still dealing with stuff. Like I haven't even like I haven't. Like I was actually getting some pictures together and make a post to like thank my coaches and everyone trained my training partners and stuff like that. Like it, it hasn't quite sunk in completely. All right, there's still a lot of people at my gym and stuff. Like a lot of students that haven't seen me yet. And like I saw a lot of students for the first time yesterday. And it was just crazy, and it's just, they just keep bringing it back. So it's it's still it's still riding high. Like so I'm like I'm doing some stuff, uh, going to a couple of schools and stuff, and talking to some kids. So it's gonna Things gonna ride out for a little bit. I always want to know what the phone looks like. Like when you when you first look at your phone after a win, especially one like yours, it's, it's, I w- it's dead because it's it keeps going off and it's dying. It's dying <laughs> like it, it was it was nuts. Like I'm, I'm like finally sitting down and getting time to like go through messages and like respond to people. Like you know what I mean? Like hey man, I wasn't being a jackass. I just like that. 5,000 other messages, and I just couldn't get to them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like respond to my family members and stuff and, and really close friends. And then there's, like, these three people that I know that I'm kind of friends with and stuff, and I just didn't have time to get back to them. And then right away, I start my, you know, my management team puts me respect doing interviews, and, like, I have, like, all people hit me up on Instagram. They want interviews. I'm like, I'm not saying no to anyone. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then I'm like, shit, when did I schedule that one? When did I schedule this one? When? And I'm like, I'm also back to teaching. So I'm teaching. I'm doing back to doing privates with my people I do privates with. And all that's all back on schedule. So it's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. Is there a message yeah, that you yeah. received from uh, an unlikely source, somebody that you hadn't heard from in a while or anything along those lines? Oh, God, yeah. Like hundreds of them. Like people that I haven't talked to in like, like people, people that I haven't talked to like before I started even training, like 
12, 13 years ago. Like people that I would like to talk to, and they was like, hey, man, I just couldn't find you. I couldn't see you or whatever. And then I turned on ESPN. Like, I, I, well, my one, one dude that really jumped off, we, um, we used to, um, when I was modeling up in New York, we, uh, we, we lived, we were roommates for a little bit, and we lived in a model house together. Then we worked together at the same place. Um, and he, uh, when I was, he actually did jujitsu. And when I decided to fight, he took me to a gym in, in New Jersey. So I, this could have all been different because I could have probably never moved back to Pittsburgh. I could have probably fought out in New Jersey, but the gym was closed. So I ended up not going. Then we ended up not going back. I ended up moving back home and stuff within the next three weeks or, I mean, three months or so. But he hit me up and was like, yo, come on, remember me? And I was like, yeah, dude. Like, it was just crazy. He was like, and he was like, dude, like, I'm just sitting around on my couch and I turn on ESPN he's like you're on there and it's, it's crazy you know it was just it's just good to talk with people like you know what I mean like just seeing people that I haven't seen or talked to in a long time and just seeing how happy they are like that's the good thing and see like see your success my success and stuff so that's always beneficial and I've got to ask about the bonus I mean you you asked for a bonus usually when fighters ask for a bonus they don't get one but you got one how did that change your life uh, completely I mean like it changes everything. It gives me gives gives me some breathing room. <laughs> gives me a little bit of breathing room. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely helps out because I've been I've been I've been busting my ass. Like everyone knows, like it's not it's being a professional fighter, being a being a professional, like almost anything until you make it. I mean, you're a professional music musician or something, or you're like a professional artist or something like before you actually make it or you get discovered or whatever, like it's rough. And that's why a lot of people don't choose this type of, these type those type of careers. Cause like you have to like go through the fire before you get to the end. And a lot of people just don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. You did an AMA on Reddit. And the one thing that stood out to me from that was you said you want to be an F1 driver and you were like, it, it's not like a, a joke. Like you, you no. No, I like I like Formula. I think that's the like besides fighting. I um like last like last like two years ago, I went and I ran with the Bulls, right? And that was an experience. Oh my god, I was nuts, insane, crazy. So I like to challenge myself and like push myself outside of where I feel comfortable. And there's nothing more horrifying than getting into a freaking monster of a machine and like doing that that's like nuts man like I, I tell my girlfriend all the time like yeah we're gonna be a former and she's like no one crazy job to another insane job because like like formula one driving that's it's high level thing you have to be physically in shape to do it and it's dangerous i mean one wrong micro step and you're flipping and stuck in a wall somewhere so i i love it so eventually i do want i do want to actually do that that is true have you done anything like that before? Have you gone on a, a track of any sort? Um, my my man, my one homie, we had a, his birthday party. We went out to Vegas, and I uh, I like I drove around a freaking uh, a Porsche, this 911 Porsche, I think, on the track, and that scared the shit out of me. So, <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm I'm planning on like doing a Formula One thing. Like I remember, they, I remember like um one um two four uh one uh, all access. They saw they had like a I think it was DC and um, who else was it? it was all all the people from his team and stuff from uh, AKA was him and his came, I think came last cast was fighting. I remember they were all out there doing that. And I think the USC took him out there, and I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna get to do that shit." They're like driving a car. I'm like, "I'm gonna get out there and do that though. I have to get out there and do it eventually." <laughs> do you know how to drive stick? 
No. <laughs> oh, so you got like an automatic 911. Yeah. <laughs> if you end up being an F1 driver or someone who doesn't know how to drive stick and just because you want to do it for like, if you even end up on like the minor circuit, I'd be very impressed. So like now the cars, you can like, you can, they're, they're tap shifts. You don't, you don't have oh, to tactronic, yeah, yeah. Shift, like, yeah, like they're, they're, they're no longer like actual shifts. Like it's all on the steering wheel. No one actually shifts anymore. So when we were talking backstage, I, you know, I said I'd love to get into talking music with you, but we don't have enough time. You know, you get four minutes or whatever after a fight. So right. <laughs> now that now that we've got kind of a, a less uh, boundary-driven uh, platform here with uh, a podcast, tell me about what kind of music and movies you're into. What do you, what do, you do in your spare time? Um, I I love TV. Like I am like a big TV hit. I watch. I like keep up on shows. Uh, actually, like I actually have to finish. Um, um, Legion. That's one of my. I think that's one of the best things ever put on TV. It's just different. It's a show. It's on uh, on FX. It's just the way that the scenery, the way they direct it, the writing, everything is just nuts. I'm sorry, I mean, I keep. I, I watch a lot of shows. I'm super excited for Power to come back. Like I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for Power, I wouldn't be here because like I started watching that show and I got motivated and then I ended up like doing more stuff, like start doing personal training. Then I got my, uh, I, I like actually start to do other stuff. And I met a friend from personal training and he taught me to like, do a little business stuff. And then I like got into buying my business, uh, buying a gym, and then it all just fell into place. So big, big shout out to 50 Cent Power. Thanks. <laughs> I don't even know these shows. Legion was the first one you said? Legion? Never heard of Legion? Oh, no. my God. It's on FX. Gotta watch that show. It's in the last season right now. I have to watch. I have a DVR right now. All right, I've got three kids, so I, I the TV time is at a premium for me. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Like I just watched Glow season three, and that was like a big deal for me. I, I know. I haven't, I haven't even started that yet. I have to, I've watched the second season. Haven't started the third season. Third yet. season's really good. Really, really good. Really? Yeah, very good. Might be the best one they've done. Actually, It was really, uh, really enjoyable. Oh, okay. I'm I forgot about that. That came back on like two or three weeks ago. No, I think it was last week, last Friday before. It was before. Um, Going to Anaheim, so I think it was the Friday pr- prior to the week of the event. It was when you were at the Common concert, probably. That's when it came okay. out. <laughs> so I, I went and downloaded it, and because I'm traveling, you know, I'm flying five hours each way or whatever. Yeah, I get, time, I get yeah. to binge watch it. <laughs> and my wife doesn't watch Glow. It's one of the shows we don't watch together. So that really, was yeah, yeah. So yeah, I watched that. There's a divorce. I really like that show. It's a uh, circus just apart. Um, yeah, circa, that's the HBO uh, show. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched that on one. On HBO, um, I mean, I mean, I watch a lot of shows. Um, I mean, that new show Nosferatu. I watched that. That was creepy. Uh, I, I, I watched Walking Dead and stuff like the other shows. The people, but they're they're kind of gaving, kind of getting on my nerves lately because it's the same shit over and over again. Uh, I, n- I never really could get into Game of Thrones. I I'm the same way. I'm, I, it's, I it's an ADD it. thing. There's too many things going on. I can't follow There's, it. That's my thing. Like I'm like, this shit's like unreal. There's way too much going on. I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I, I just I couldn't. Um, I tried. I mean, I tried really, really hard, but I just couldn't. I think couldn't people really that like the show were posers. I think that if you, gave, if you went to somebody and said, tell me about the story arc that this person's involved with, and you just made up a name, They'd like. They'd probably just. They, they'd pretend that they knew what they were talking about. But it's just, it, just, just because just, it's, it's popular. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the last episode. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I didn't do that. I didn't go back and watch. it. I heard the last season was really bad. Like pre- people that I know that are really that really dug the show, they hated the last season. So that's always the worst. Like 
Dexter, the worst, the last season of Dexter was one of the worst things the I've ever seen. The last season of Dexter was garbage. <laughs> like, I was like, what the hell is this, dude? Like, come on. The, the problem was, was they, such a good show. They had that John Lithgow season, and like from there, you just couldn't get better than that. He was just so good. Yeah. Like, when he was at the, the Golden Globes or the Emmys or whatever, and he was doing the introductions, I was like, they let that serial killer into the show. Like, that's how good he was. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. There's there's certain people that just take on personas after they've done certain roles. You know, like that's just how you see them. Like um, the movie, um, what was it? Uh, um, uh, what is the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, Which one? The, the Wolf Great of Wall Gatsby. Street. Oh, Great Gatsby. No, yeah, Great yeah. Gatsby. And I, every, I'm like the, the the chick that played his like the girl, his love interest in that movie. I'm like, yo, if I ever see her in person, I'm gonna curse her ass. <laughs> he did my man wrong. I'm like that was I've never been so pissed off in a movie before. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I was so messed up. <laughs> and what about music? You were at this common show uh, two weeks ago. Is that is that what you're what you're mostly into? Kind of the older older I, era I of hip hop. Yeah, I, I listen to everything. I mean, like I listen. Of course, I listen to hip hop. I mean, I listen to a little bit of rock. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I grew up listening to my majority reggae. So I do a lot of. I listen to a whole bunch of like. like Stuff. I mean, like, I, w- I basically listen to everything depending on what mood I'm in. Yeah, that's that's that makes sense. I'm, I've gotten really into jazz lately. That's what my my latest kick is. But yeah, I'm I'm into a lot of different types of music as well. And yeah, I find that it's I find that when you watch music while you're watching fights, it, it, there's a lot of synergy sometimes, especially inter- instrumental music. Like I watch fights sometimes with jazz, and it becomes like this artistic thing. It's very weird. But uh, really, yeah, I'll have to try that. Yeah, like uh, there I, are. A couple- I like, I, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan, so I like to hear him talk. <laughs> oh, you like to listen to the the, uh, what, the fight companions or whatever it is? No, I mean like when the fights are on. Oh, you? Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking about yeah, when I, I watch them back. Like if I'm watching one in the background, if I'm just kind of, oh, I, I, okay. I, I, I try you. not. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I like if you. if I'm studying a fighter just so I can learn a little bit more about them, I try not to watch it with the commentary because I find it biases me. It 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 is it is but I it, it, I it's just I just love to hear the shit that Joe Rogan said. It just cracks me up. Like I'm I'm I, as you can see in my post fight I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. I just the way he I just it's just funny. He's just fucking hilarious. So I'm like every time I get I want to hear the crazy shit that he said. It makes me funny. Were you tempted to ask to go on the podcast? Everybody seems to want to ask Joe Rogan if they could be a guest on this podcast when they have that platform. Oh, I asked him. <laughs> I was in the back. I couldn't I, hear it. I, I, I asked him afterwards. I was like, dude, I need to go on your show. We can do some enlightening shit. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, let's go on your show. So, I mean, like, it'll happen. It'll get there eventually. Have you had a chance to talk to Devontae since the win? I, mean, I know the two of you have trained together in the past. No, we haven't talked. haven't had a chance to talk yet. Like, I'm going to give it like a week or two. You know, I'm going to hit him up. Or he'll, probably, he'll probably, or he'll probably hit me up. You know, and we'll. We'll talk and shit and figure shit out and go from there. You know, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a brutal, it's a brutal game that we play and a lot a lot gets put into it. And I mean, I, I'll just tell straight up telling him like, dude, I've been where you're at. I've been where you're at, and it's not tough. I'm like, the good thing is, I've been where you're at, and I was making like like eight hundred dollars to fight. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like. You're you you got where you're at, and you're you're making thousands of dollars there. So I'm like, dude, you're you're on the upside. It may suck, it hurts, but like, you're you're still on the upside. There's a lot of people that they get what you get, and like don't get the don't get the cake the cakes out with it. 
Yeah, I always wonder how it feels for someone like Jason House, your agent, the, the unicorn, as you call him, um, when, when he's when he's watching two of his own guys fight. Like I'm, that must be hard because you have such a, a strong relationship with with these individuals, and you, you obviously you're not going to cheer for one over the other. But um, just watching that must be difficult. Oh yeah, it was it was really really hard. Even like at the like like before the fight, he's like, you know, it's really weird. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm like talking to one person more than the other. I'm like, dude, it's like me. I'm like, dude, I just completely, I'm like, I was like, I just kept saying like a uh, team from uh, coming to America. I'm like, I'm just so excited to be here. I'm like, you know, I'm like, you don't have to like explain it. I'm like, I know how it is. And then after the fight, he was, he was like, it's really torn up. He's like, he's like, I get a guy, you come in here on a short notice and you make a gigantic wave. But he's like, it's, it's at the expense of one of my other guys that I've been like, you know, Really excited to see be so successful and move forward and push for push forward so they could sucks. But he's like, I wanted to get you into the UFC and he wanted he still wanted to fight. You know what I mean? Like so, it was beneficial for us, but it still was beneficial for him, but also hurt for him because he didn't want to see someone that he's working with get stepped back. But it's the fight game, like that's always going to happen. I mean, like I mean, like, I'm pretty sure. I mean, like, I'm, it might happen again. Like, it's, it's just how it is. So as I mentioned off the top, you were the, the biggest underdog on the card. You were about an eight to one underdog. Do you know anybody who bet on you that, that sent you a message afterwards? Yeah, it was like a whole good job. Bunch of people bet on me. I, I'm actually I told somebody in an interview yesterday. I I'm actually going to probably make a post and tell people um, where they can donate money if they've made a whole bunch of money off me. Where they can donate. People made a lot of people made like like big money, like like big big money. Like some people bet like. Like twenty five hundred dollars and stuff, like four thousand dollars, thousand dollars, eight hundred dollars. I mean, like like money like that, like multiple people, like over like I've I've probably heard like over like fifty people that bet like over a thousand dollars. You're like, do I make crazy money? I'm like, yeah, I got bet. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the casino here in Pittsburgh, they were doubling your bets up to like like uh, up to like two fifty or something, like you could down a certain amount to make double your bet. Everyone was doing it because we're here in Pittsburgh. You know, people, oh, I'll just bet this. And then, like, it just came back heavy on top of that. So, uh, Your last loss was to Kyle Nelson. He's in the UFC now, a Canadian kid. Um, shout out to him because he's Canadian. But since then, <laughs> you've won six in a row. Um, what was the turning point for you? I mean, this this was almost, like, just over well, a year ago that you had that. your last loss. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that 45 anymore. Like, it was just, it was killing me. Like you saw me on, 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 my, on my UFC fight, like I look, like just like no, just beer. Like when I make weight, I have no fat left. Even like like I walk around shredded like that all the time, and then I have to cut. I still have to cut like twenty something pounds when I when I start off. Cause I start off at about maybe like one eighty and something if I'm not overly training, maybe one eighty two or something. So it's like, and I'm like shredded. So and I you know, I used to do the same thing and cut down to one forty five, and it it hurt me just literally pulling out too much water. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at your record, and uh, you you had fought at featherweight since 2013. So over like the last five years, essentially, you had fought at right. featherweight. You switched to lightweight at the beginning of this year, and you, you've gone on a, on a tear. Yeah, yeah. So so, so I, I switched to lightweight uh, last year. My la- my last six fights have all been at lightweight. Yeah, but like but like I'm I'm the one who wanted me to cut a little bit more, so I had to cut down like 152 or 53 or something. So I mean, like yeah, it's. Like it's a big thing. My my strength coach John Lepovich, uh, he's like a friend of mine. I've known him since I started training. He's been with me doing 
one of my strength training forever. And he was like, he told me a long time ago, like, you need to go up. He's like, you're just getting older. You know, you're just getting bigger. Your body is different. You're holding more muscle. And I just kept trying to cut the 145 and just hurt, hurt my performance. Even the two fights that I won in between those four losses, I felt like shit. Like cutting weight was brutal. I barely made, I missed weight at one pound one time. I barely made weight the other time. And it all hurt. It just hurt extremely bad. And then like when I fought, I didn't perform right. It took me a while to kick in. And you were fighting good competition. I mean, I see, I see that you fought Matt Bassett, uh, Billy Qu- uh, Quarantillo, whose brother just fought on Contender Series yesterday. So you you were fighting. Uh, you know, I always admire that. I always admire fighters in on the regional scene who will take tough fights because a lot of people have padded records. Like in the main event yesterday on Contender Series, uh, Leon Shabazian, who's the uh, older brother of Edmund, his combined records of the guys he's beaten were like 28-68-0. So, I mean, yeah. you know, you have a 7-0 record, but then when you get to the big show, you're you're kind of ill-equipped. Now, now obviously, that, that didn't always, happen with that you. Always, that always scared the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's like applying for a job that you're not qualified for, like a nuclear physics or some shit. And then they send you there, and you get the job. And you're like, oh shit, now I gotta, I gotta mix this stuff and make shit. I'm like, but instead you're doing this shit where like this guy's gonna brick you in the face. I'm like, that's, that always scares. I'm like, my biggest thing is, I'm like, if you haven't been touched by fire yet, if you haven't been touched by fire, you haven't been really like challenge you haven't had any adversity and you have to face it in front of millions of people that's freaking horrifying (laughs) the worst thing that can happen to you i'm like i'd rather take my l's i'd rather take my l's and learn from them and and respect them and understand the game and take my l's and like be like oh shit this is what it feels like oh my god people are making memes of me and stuff like that it's insane and like end up never doing it again or some shit yeah, like I, I'm looking at ahead ahead to this card in uh, in China, and there there are guys that have fought people that just have like very very padded rec like you know they they have padded records because they're fighting people that are, are 0 and one, 0 and two. It's it's just it's strange to me that people go that route, but they get to the UFC faster. But then what's the long term goal? I mean, the yeah, long term yeah, yeah, exactly like I mean, you get to UFC, you get carved the fuck up. Yeah, I mean like I mean like it, that that's ridiculous. Or like like I mean I mean like it's it's. I mean, but the thing is, it's still like you still just want to get to the UFC because there's other people that are doing that and they're doing the same thing. And they, you get to the UFC, you'll get somebody else like that. Like, you see what I mean? Like, and they've been patting their record too. And then you guys can fight and it look, and it's a good fight, but you guys have both have padded records. And then you get time to get the experience and the mental part of the UFC and then you're ready for it. So it is the right, it technically is the right way to go. I'm just a fighter first, everything else second. I grew, like when I started my career, I used to, I never would say no to fights. Like, no, I'll take it. 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 I'll fight him. I'll fight him. I'll fight him. I don't care. Like my first fight was against a high level, like a really good wrestler. And like, I, I didn't wrestle in high school or anything. I was known for a striker. It was a horrible first pro fight. I shouldn't have took that as a first pro fight. My next fight after that, I fought a collegiate wrestling champion right away. Instantly. Like then I fought Paul Felder after that. And then off of my Paul Felder loss, I fought a guy who, who was 3-0. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's like, and I just, that's just how I am. I'm like, I rather, I rather find out if I really have what it takes. If not, I shouldn't be doing it. Well, that's what annoyed me about Contender Series yesterday. I don't know if you watched it, but only one person got a contract, and that was the guy who beat Leon Shabazi, and that's Philip Rowe. But if you look yeah, at that's it, my man, actually, yeah, Philip Rowe. I, I, he actually used to train with me for like, he trained here for like two years or so here. 
And I don't think I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the contract because he does. He had a great performance. He bounced back a lot. He's got really good measurables. Like I think he said he has the same reach as John Jones. He's got 80 and a half inch reach at welterweight, which is unbelievable. But uh, if you look at his, his record before that, he didn't beat anybody with a winning record. Now that's not a knock on him necessarily, but when Dana White comes out and says, "Oh, you need more work. You need to go back and get some more fights in the regional scene." I don't think he takes into account their history. Like, this kid, this kid Jamal Pogues, looked amazing yesterday. He's 23 years old, light heavyweight. And Dana says, you know, at 23, I don't want to throw you into the fire. But A, light heavyweight is not a very stacked division in the UFC. B, he's beaten a guy that's 9-0 and previously. He's beating people that have winning records. Um, and, and C, I mean, he, he absolutely dominated an undefeated opponent uh, on, uh, on Contender Series. And that was a guy who's beaten people that have winning records. So... These are the kind of things that I don't think are taken into account sometimes when they're when they're giving people contracts. But uh, I kind of digress. But I, I just wanted to point that out because a lot of people got upset with me when I said I would have given a contract to Ricky Steele and, and Jamal Pogue. Now, Steele's undefeated. He was on the undefeated season of the of uh, Tough, and he's fought guys also that have winning records. So I just think that these kind of things need to be taken into account a little bit more. And same with uh, people with yourself. I mean, your record isn't like 10-0 and or 12-0, and but you fought really high-level competition, which which gets you ready for that next step. Right, yeah. I mean, like, it's, I mean, like, I, as for as for Phil Rowe, I know for sure. Like, Phil Rowe's down there training at Factory X, and I've like I said, I trained him most before, so I know he's definitely ready for the UFC. But I mean, like, as like with the the opponent thing, like, uh, I mean, like, it's I, I guess it's just how it, I, I guess it's how it, it's how it is. It's the sport now. Like, I'm I'm actually telling like my my little brother, he's three and one, or he's two and one, and then I have a um. My uh, another kid I've been training with forever, Jake Schilling. He's uh one and zero. Then my man Justin Pat, he's about to make his pro debut. And then I have my man John Dan Seuss. And I'm like, yo, we're not taking easy fights, but I'm like, you want to take the right fights. You can't. It's you can't just fight. The best fighters don't make it to the UFC. Smart fighters do. That's just the way it is. And then- I know I, I I know a whole bunch of phenomenal fighters that never made it to the UFC. They should have made it, but never did. And then the other thing you don't know is like people might look at Phil Rowe, see that he's six foot three with an 80 inch reach, and say, "I don't want to fight that guy." Are you, are you are you kidding me? And then maybe he just can't get harder fights. So that's another thing that you you have to kind of take into account when you when you look at it. I remember there was a kid from there was a kid from Singapore that the UFC had years ago, and I remember they were saying, and he had big hype. He was like two and zero, oh, and they said the reason why this guy only has two fights is because nobody wants to fight him. And and those are the kind of things that you don't really see behind the scenes or no behind the scenes when it comes to regional exactly, MMA. Exactly. Because I, I know Phil Rose putting in work. Like he's down, he trains down there. There's like Mike Perry's down there. Jacare is down there. Like there's a whole bunch of guys down there. The, the dude, the Spartans. There's like my man, Dan Kakuda, actually, that used to train here with me. He's down there. He's like this crazy dude. There's that dude that just, that world-class jiu-jitsu guy just won his fight. So I know he's down there getting real work. So I know he's putting it in. But like you said, like, like certain fights just happen the way they do and you you were trying to get this fight, it didn't happen. You get a last minute replacement and stuff like that. So I mean, it's it's just weird. With it. As for me, I don't know. I think our it also depends on the athletic commission, whatever athletic commission's around. Could you hit a promoter up and say, "Hey, I want to fight." He gets you the fight. You just take the fight, right? If he gives you a guy, it's like you know, one in four, and you're like, "Oh, whatever. I'm just fight this guy. I don't care. I'm just trying to get some wins. You know, I'm trying to win wins because I'm I'm getting my proper training in the gym." But it also it depends on the athletic commission. Here in Pittsburgh, our athletic commission is strict. Like I've they, I've had guys that that's been offered to me with like similar records, and the athletic commission like nope, they're not they're they're not high enough level to fight him. 
same thing with a whole bunch of other local fires here in Pittsburgh. So, like, the people, the fires that come out of, I'm not saying we're um, great above, but the fires out of Pittsburgh are just different. Like, not just, like, like not, not, um, not just um, here, where there's a more strict um, athletic commission. Like, in Michigan, Michigan has a really, like, their, their athletic commission is really wild. You can do all kinds of stuff in their athletic commission. Like, I've seen guys get pulled out of the audience to fight. I've seen fights get called. And then the commentary be like, whoa, 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 that wasn't proper. Let's run that back. And they start to fight over. I've seen that in the video before. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. I'm sitting there like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, so it, it makes the level of competition a lot different. And here in PA, because of the wrestling and the boxing, our athletic commission was really strict. So the fires are they're just used to more like stiff, they're like they get stiffer competition because of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Then, people people getting pulled from the crowd sounds uh, that sounds like fun. Dude, I I <laughs> saw it. Like I've seen it. And like they like they have fifty six year old guy gets pulled from the audience to fight nineteen year old kid and knocks him out. These guys are like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what the hell? <laughs> like, they didn't have to cut hell? any weight like, or anything. I'm they like, just just pull him. Yeah, no scales involved. Yeah, like, yeah I took this fight on like ten second notice. I'm like, shit. He makes me feel like a buster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some old school WWF stuff. Like when they pulled Earthquake out of the audience. Can you do yeah, a push up no, with that guy in your back? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, Kama, it's great uh, catching up with you. Um, hopefully we talk again soon and, uh, and you get back in there whenever you're ready and, uh, and get another W under your belt. That's the plan, brother. Thank you so much, man. Kama Worthy. Well, that uh, interview went in a lot of different directions. He's a big fan of television, so I wanted to talk TV with him. Talk music with him. I'm interested in that kind of stuff, too. I hope you are. Otherwise, you might not have found that interview all that exciting. But Kama just has so much energy and so much excitement. And I didn't realize that he had moved from 145 and basically has been undefeated at lightweight since. Not basically, he has been undefeated at lightweight since. And it seems like that was the right move because, wow, did he look good on Sunday night. Very unexpected outcome. And he's running with it, man. I mean, you got the $50,000 bonus. Can you imagine? You're a regional fighter. You're, you go to like a, a common concert with your friends. You're just there. You get a call. You're going to be the next opponent for Devontae Smith, someone who you've trained with before. And then pretty much a week later, you have like $75,000 you didn't have that, that previous week. Like that's, that's a year's income for somebody who's like upper to middle class. And you get that no in a matter of days. That's unbelievable. Imagine how much that changes his life. He's got a young child, I think an 11-month-old baby girl. Now he's set. I mean, he's not set for life, but I mean, that, that must do so much for him. And you, you got to be excited for someone like that. Someone who takes a tough fight on that short notice and then turns it around. And I also really want to be clear that I'm not trying to slag Philip Rowe, who got the contract. I really am not. I think that he looks like a very, very good talent and somebody who can thrive in the UFC. The message I'm trying to get across with the Contender Series is I find it I find that a lot of things aren't taken into account when these decisions are being made about who's going to get a contract. And I think the most important one is the level of competition. Like, if you have two people that are really high-level competitors, both of whom are, are UFC-worthy, and we've seen this in several episodes this season, two very strong UFC-caliber fighters are going toe-to-toe, 
And those two might actually end up being the most UFC caliber on the entire card of all 10 fighters that compete that, that day. But if it goes to a decision or even a split decision in Ricky Steele's case against Phil Carapaca or Caracapa, Phil Caracapa, that's a fun one to say, that those kind of things are kind of overlooked. It, it depends on how you perform, but it's harder to perform well against somebody who is at your level or someone who is high level and has fought high level competition. It's just the higher level, the level of competition, the harder it is to look good. That's just how it is in MMA. That's why MMA has become so exciting is because when you have good matchups, you get good fights. You get really competitive, solid fights. And I thought that Ricky Steele at 135 pounds, he's tall. He's got a really nice karate background. He looked good in that fight. It was a split decision that shouldn't have been a split decision. Those kind of things can play into the psyche of somebody who's like Dana White, determining who's going to be getting those contracts. And I thought that Ricky Steele, of all the people on the show, looks like the guy who's the most UFC ready. But then Dana White comes and says, the guy needs to get more fights. You know, we'll see him in the UFC eventually, maybe, but not today, because you need more fights at the regional level. I just don't think that that applies to somebody like Ricky Steele based on who he fought. He fought a champion at a higher level regional organization based out of New Jersey. And when you fight somebody that's that level, it's just going to be harder for you to look spectacular. That's just the way it is. You've got two fighters that are just going to be less risk-averse. Or sorry, more risk-averse, rather. So that's what I gleaned from something like that and why I think that somebody like Ricky still should get a contract. But while we're on the topic of the Contender Series, the main event of the last episode of the Contender Series has a Canadian involved. And I love to see that. That's Teddy Ash out of Edmonton. He's the training partner of Tanner Bozer. And Tanner, unfortunately, uh, did not get the fight in Edmonton last month. Now he's going to be rescheduled for that card in Boston against Daniel Spitz. That's officially been announced. But Teddy Ash has a chance to join him in the UFC. He'll be in that main event against an undefeated fighter, and he'll tell you all about that right now on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by a Canadian who could become the first Canadian to win on the Dana White Contender Series. We've got Teddy Ash. He's in the main event of the final episode of the Dana White Contender Series, uh, at least this season of it, uh, against Dusko Todorovic, who's coming off a win against uh, Michelle Pereira. Uh, Teddy, how are you today? I'm great, man. Uh, just got back from a walk with the dogs, getting ready to, to go train. Well, before we uh, get started talking about you, I'm wondering if you saw UFC 241 this past weekend. Yeah, man. What a fun card that was. Awesome fights and uh, crazy excitement, man. What was your favorite thing from that card? I mean, there was so much to digest. Yeah, I, I loved watching uh, Costa, just his his hard pressure and, uh, and just he... Uh, he went, he went in there with, like, a lack of respect for Romero's power, and even though he got dropped, he got back up, and he just kept pressing, didn't give a shit. <laughs> well, that's the crazy thing about Romero, um, and I was talking to my co-host, Joe Valtellini, who was here before, about um, this particular fight, that everybody's terrified of Romero, so nobody wants to get hit with what he's throwing, but as a result of that, they kind of keep a distance, and that's where Romero does his best work. Costa just moved forward and didn't give him the, uh, I guess, the amount of space that his dexterity would allow him to hit at full flight, and it seemed to pay off. Yeah, man, he was just going for it, and and as exciting as that fight was, man, it was uh, him pushing that pace that made that fight that exciting. Absolutely, and uh, that guy looks like he's going to be a force. He's not a very good matchup <laughs> yeah. for Romero and, and uh, Adesanya. He's a tough matchup for both those guys with that kind of pressure fighting. Yeah, man, and, and he, he 
really proven himself against some top level competition uh, on Saturday night. So you really know where he stands now. And fuck yeah, I see big things for that guy. I, I like watching him play. Absolutely, as do we all. And we're excited to uh, to watch you fight. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to be fighting before Tanner Bozer got the chance. Your your teammate Tanner's fight got scrapped at <laughs> zero hour. I felt terrible for the guy. Yeah, man, it was definitely heartbreaking. Um, yeah, very unfortunate. But, you know, he's still got his contract. He's still UFC fighter. And uh, he'll get his chance to shine there in uh, Boston on October 17th. Yeah, against uh, a, a really solid matchup in Daniel Spitz, I think is the, it's a good matchup for him. Um, and then when yeah. you... Yeah, and when you look at um, what uh, what he brings to the table, I think he brings a, a lot of uh, great skills to the table at heavyweight. He's got a, a very diverse game. He does, man, and uh, you know everyone knows him as a striker. But I uh, I wrestle with the guy, I roll with the guy. He's a very well-rounded fighter. He's a in crazy shape. One of the he's got to be one of the most conditioned heavyweights there is. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a bright future for him in the UFC. Are there no like uh, heavyweights kicking around Edmonton that could have fought him? Like, couldn't they have given like Adam Braidwood a call or something? A former football player, you know, just throw him in there, see how it goes. <laughs> uh, I know Tanner was asking. He said, "Seriously, bring me in anybody, any heavyweight you can get." But uh, yeah, they were like, "Williams are tomorrow morning." We, we apologize. We just they would have made weight. It's heavyweight. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know he was willing to fight anyone that they would have got, but yeah, it just didn't pull through for him. So unfortunately, uh, he'll have to wait, man. Wait his turn. He got he got paid anyways, and uh, he'll be uh, he'll be ready for the next one. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to that. And uh, of course, your your fight against uh, Dusko Todorovic. What can you tell me about him? Uh, yeah, he, he's a great, well-rounded fighter, man. Uh, he's super. Uh, composed and sharp um yeah he's, he's gonna be a tough test man and I, i'm pretty stoked with edmonton it seems like that's a really big up and coming you know I, I wrote this on twitter i said edmonton is a really good up and coming uh training ground for fighters and people are like haven't you watched mfc but yeah i've watched mfc but there aren't a lot of people that, that were training in edmonton uh, quite like your team your team seems to be making a lot of waves in edmonton so how did that all come about yeah, well, the MFC is kind of older now, right? It, it's been gone for, fuck, how many ever years? But um, Edmonton's always had a, a big group of fighters. It's just so happened that we finally uh, got a core group of the guys that are fully committed to actually being active, fighting regularly. Uh, we got good coaches above us that are, you know, have a, have a structured program and they're they're working on us and, uh and improving us and making us better, man. Edmonton's full of gyms and fight gyms, but uh, none that are as strong and as structured as us, man. So we're, uh, we're the core group right now, and, and our gym's on the rise, and we've got uh, you know a lot of guys to prove it. So we're we're just we're making waves all over. What about people who haven't seen you fight? What what can you tell them about your game? <laughs> I can tell you, you'll be excited because <laughs> there'll be. There's no dull fight with me in it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking down the line. There aren't a whole lot of decisions here on this resume. At least not in recent no, years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's with me, it's a high-paced fight. Um, there's Both of us are going to probably be getting hit a lot, um, and there's a good chance someone's getting knocked out. Um, yeah, man, I, it's just the way I, the way I fight, man. It, it's, it's an exciting style, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way I am. It's not nothing that I try to do on purpose. It's just naturally the way that I fight. 
my coaches are uh, really starting to sharpen me up quite a bit. So I'm uh, I'm a lot better at uh, fighting so aggressively now. So controlled aggression is my the new me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why you didn't get a call for the Edmonton card? I mean, you'd think with the card being in the city um, and them giving you a call for Contender Series, that that would have made a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, totally, man. Um, I, I really had high hopes to be on that card. And, uh, you know, I I, I kind of, I, I, I can't say for sure, but uh, I think it might have been poor management versus good management. I had uh, got my release. Uh, shortly before I got my uh, contender series call and I ended up with a new manager and uh, it wasn't very long. He had me a contender series opportunity. Honestly, I don't even think uh, my old manager uh, knew that I was fighting out of Edmonton. (laughs) You know, that would probably be a case that you'd plead to get me on the UFC Edmonton card. But uh, yeah, it seemed as if he didn't even know I was in Edmonton. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that's problematic. (laughs) Yep, totally. So, I had uh, got a new manager. The Edmonton card was practically full, so he got me this contender series opportunity, which is which is great, man. It, it works out well in my favor in the way that I fight. I'm, I'm excited. Dana, Mick Maynard, and Sean Shelby will be right there watching, and there's no doubt they're gonna they're gonna love the fight. So I'm looking at your uh, your bio on Tapology. It says you were born in Fort McMurray, you know, in uh, oil country. So what kind of upbringing did you have there? <laughs> yeah, Fort Mac, born and raised. Uh, yeah, it was awesome, man. It was a small town. It's grown quite a bit and changed quite a bit since I was a kid. It was a, a bit more of a hard city when I was growing up than it is now. Uh, it was fun, man. I used to leave from my house right on my dirt bike and fucking rip down the road. Uh, I, you know, living out in the bush, all the guys out having fires every other night in the in the woods and stuff. And uh, you know, it's it's a small town, uh, close group of friends, man. Uh, so it, it was a great place to grow up, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, I'm an ignorant Torontonian, so you need to verify this for me. Someone has told me <laughs> that in Fort McMurray, because people are so wealthy there now due to the oil, that people at Tim Hortons make like $35 an hour. Is that true, or is somebody just blowing smoke? Uh, maybe not 35 but I'm sure they make better <laughs> than most in Edmonton at Tim Hortons. Uh, yeah, it's a land of opportunity, man. There's a lot of money to be made up there. Uh, although the economy uh, being down right now has changed that quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, that's why everyone flocks to Fort McMurray to uh, to make money. It's the, the population there is huge. And you tell someone that you're from Fort Mac and they're like, whoa, no way. Like, uh, no one from here, no one around here is from here. And, you know, it's like, yeah, well, we're, we're here. <laughs> it's like the people that live in cottage country up here. Like, I think Kyle Nelson, <laughs> exactly. Kyle Nelson, I think, is from Huntsville, which is like... A, Basically, just where people like rich folks go in the summer to cottage, and he's just like he's a year-round guy there. <laughs> that's just where he lives. Yeah, yeah, so yeah man. It's, uh, it's a good feel, man. I, I love my hometown. I'm in Edmonton, which is only four hours away, so I go up there often. Like right after this fight, man, I'm up there September second on a hunting trip out on the on the river. So I'll be far away from civilization for a full week, and I I can't wait. <laughs> Well, after you get to the UFC, if you need, like, secondary work, Tim Hortons, you can make, like, $80,000 a year there, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you can pretty much make a living at Timmy's around Fort Mac, anyway. <laughs> All right, Teddy. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Nice to be uh, introduced yeah. to you, and uh, I look forward to watching you fight at the Contender Series next week. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. That was Teddy Ash on the TSN MMA show. Uh, so, Joe, no show this week. Fantastic. I know. I know. I'm excited. I'm home. Off.
Yeah, uh, you you're know? home. I get uh, it's my anniversary uh, yesterday, so I get to spend an anniversary weekend with. Actually, my wife I'm not on home. Saturday. What am I saying? Well, I'm not home. I have uh, one of my fighters fighting at uh, BTC show okay. in Burlington. Cool. So he's. Um, but that's on Saturday or Friday? Uh, that's Saturday. Okay. Yeah, I thought cool. it was Friday too. That's why I'm confused because I'm leaving. Well, Thursday. you're not missing anything then, other than I know, you'll be there for BTC anything. and there's no UFC that you're missing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, my fighters fighting. Uh, it's currently two and zero in pro, so now we're going three. Nice, awesome. There you go. So uh, yeah, it was my anniversary yesterday with my wife, twelve years. So hey. we're gonna celebrate. Crazy. My my mom is watching, uh, or my parents are watching the two boys. It'll be my wife and the baby, and we'll just date know, night. Yeah, have a, an actual Saturday night date night for the first time. Hey, in eight years. nice dinner somewhere. I don't yeah, want we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't okay. know. She wants A and W. I mean, so no, she's easy to. Please. But it's your job <laughs> to plan. My wife Aaron, is extremely low maintenance. She yeah. wants A and W. Yeah, like, but okay. you got to set something up. Come on, you got to set a nice date out. Yeah, I'll set up A and W at our house, and maybe, uh, maybe a little bit of wine, and we'll some picnic in A and W. Yeah, we'll watch a movie or something. We'll figure it out. Well, well, if you need some help planning a date, I'll help you out. Yeah, so let me know where the nearest A and W is in Scarborough or Pickering, and we'll figure it out. Are you going to take it home to eat too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I got to take the baby out to A and W. Come on, Joe. That's a rookie. You can move. step it up, maybe Swiss Chalet or something. No, That's a step no, up. She doesn't want Swiss Chalet. She wants no. AW. So I have to get in. Like, if I get something else, then I'm not listening. Yeah. So but listen. it's also maybe reverse psychology. Maybe she's no. saying, oh, you know, this is AW, but really she wants the why nice I, filet mignon. <laughs> That's why I married her. She doesn't play games. All right. I guess I need one <laughs> she like wants your wife. AW. Means A and W. Means A and W. I'm not going to go right. off the board. I hope so. Yeah. I hope right. next week you're telling me that she didn't want A and W. No, you're wrong about this one. Chief. All right. Again, you know better. Years, I know better. And I've never met your wife, so with her, I'm generalizing. That's what I like about her. Everything's phase value. It's not games. Yeah. Perfect. The only one thing I don't like is when she she uh, will ask me a question by making a statement. She'll be like. You know the backyard uh, needs to get cool. Yeah, know. I know that. Yeah. yeah, you know the backyard. It's uh, it's got a lot of stuff back yeah. there. Yeah, the okay. grass is really long there cool. in the backyard, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the grass is getting long in the backyard. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, nice. You just say, how about you? Can you cut the backyard? Yeah. Can you mow the lawn? Yeah, sure. Hey, babe, that's, the grass is getting. That's long. how you get me to do stuff. Just ask direct. Be yeah. direct. Boom. I that's like important. it. That is important. And I call her out on it, and we we were working on it. You know, yeah, that's why years. you're married for twelve yeah, years. Exactly. There you go. All right. And I can't keep a relationship for twelve months. So <laughs> there we go. Yeah, exactly. You got to tell people what you want them to do. Just be honest with people. I agree. That's how, that's how you get stuff done. My problem is I think I'm too honest sometimes. Yeah, but if they can't take the honesty, then they're not right for you. That's right. Right. She's honest yeah. with me. I'm honest with her, and that's the way it's got to be. It's like, how do I look today? If I don't like the way you look today. I'm you know, going to tell got, you I don't really I like the new, way you look, and then T- I get in trouble. TSN got me two suits recently. I got a, and hey. I and I went and customized it and everything. Beautiful. And my wife's like. Like, I don't like the suit. It doesn't look good on you. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like heartbroken. I like put all this work into like tailoring with confidence it perfectly. Now? And then I wore it on the weekend. She's like, it's like you don't take my, like, like you don't listen at all. And I was like, I don't know. It's new. I want to wear it. I want to yeah, try it come out. On. Yeah. So no. So you don't wear the suit with confidence anymore now? No. I was, I was like desperate for compliments on it and I didn't yeah. get that many. So maybe she was right. The one that mattered didn't get yeah, it from exactly. her. Yeah, exactly. All well, right. Anyhow, Joe, next week we'll be, uh, we'll be here to uh, preview the UFC's card in Shenzhen, China. Shenzhen, yeah. Glory's going. I'm actually going to Shenzhen Are at you? the end of the year. And well, I went there last year. Let's so hope uh, the, nice. the things die down there. There's uh, all kinds of protests I heard, there right now. I heard especially now, because I think we're flying into Hong Kong, that there could be a lot of issues. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, Dana White's still know. trying to figure out how to get there. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, I think uh, Zhang Veili has a, it's going to be an interesting matchup for Andrade. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. Uh, anyhow, Joe, until then, we'll uh, see you next week. Boom. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.